You're listening to the Fire in a Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and a cast. If you want to keep the show free and help us keep the lights on, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you have ideas for the show, we'd like to come on the show, uh, don't hesitate to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fire in the Hole podcast with Jason, Richard, Daniel, and the esteemed guest of the evening, Big James. Uh, yeah, how, how did this episode go? So James, uh, for those that don't know, uh, is a uh, heavy metal musician. He's, uh, he was the uh, singer of a band called Endost that was very well regarded and toured wi- wi- really widely and uh, changed a lot of lives. Uh, he can be found in X's for Eyes, um, and uh, he f- some some people might even remember uh, Invade, which was a uh, was a, one of his first, if not his first band. He's also all over uh, social media, right? Yeah, man, he's got his uh, morning show, the Big James Morning Show. Yeah, fucking awesome. It's just required watching, I think. Yeah, just made a revival recently, so if you have a chance to check that out, I'd say go for it. Yeah, we go. What did we talk about? I feel like uh, we talked about fucking everything. I mean, we talked about student protest, getting in trouble online, metal, meeting his heroes, his morning show, his brother Sean's tattoo shop. Uh, shout out to Sean. Uh, gorillas and kids and alligators stealing kids. <laughs> we talked about it was one of his family members being uh, uh, in proximity of the French, uh, the Bacatland massacre in, oh, yeah, in, Paris, in Paris. Yeah, and how crazy that was. Um, Seriously. And just uh, be encountering violence and, and uh, working as a bouncer. Yeah. Buckle your safety belts. Between two ferns, fern. I think it just smells like like dudes. Yeah, just gross dudes. Gross dudes. It's the dutiest smell. It of smells all like smells. dudes. It smells like dudes. Smells like um, just bands, which it's <laughs> it's a bunch Band of dudes. Yeah, it's a bunch of dudes. Cigarettes, stale cigarette smoke, weed smoke, and and like a bunch of cans. Yeah, like old empty cans, beer. Empty cans with, with butts in them. Yeah, old, old yeah. Running shoes. <laughs> sweat and urine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a little, just a hint of the forest floor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys little. sound like some right yeah. Now. yeah, yeah. Is that oak? Is that yeah, oak? Yeah. yeah. Is that old running shoe? I detect. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think that's it's it. a bit of like. Of like burnt tire. Just a know? hint. Yeah. yeah. Regret. <laughs> broken <laughs> dreams. Yeah. Broken yeah. dreams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Realizing we're not special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The weight of re- it smells like the weight of reality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just the worst. Reality like, oh, shit. Uh, I don't think that million dollar contract is coming, and uh, I don't have a education. <laughs> or what do you mean we didn't get that grant? <laughs> what are you talking about? The Canadian government loves to give money to It was a sure thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How am I supposed to pay my rent? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, I guess I'm going back to Pfizer. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm going to be working in telemarketing when I'm 80. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be one of those guys with the briefcase <laughs> that takes it Filled really seriously. Nothing, yeah. Filled with my lunch. It's like just my lunch. Just one like, uh, wrap yeah, like falling, falling down <laughs> with Michael Douglas. That's, that's us. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is my actual future. Just going to lose yeah. in traffic one day. Just get yeah. out. Yeah, go to an army surplus store, buy Defense. some guns. Yeah, yeah that's, right. that's one of my all-time favorite films. It is one of my all-time all favorite films as well. It's great. It's it surprising when people don't know about that movie. Though. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, and Michael Douglas has this. Uh, he has this bit of a curse on him with the, with movies like that because um, he did uh, the game too, which mm-hmm. was a phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it just does not. Somehow, it did not stick. You know, it's like not the cover that you see whenever um, they do like one of those uh, 20th anniversary Warner Brothers or yeah. Paramount Pictures presents 70 years of film. Like you just, they don't mention it. But falling down, like, fuck. Well, the first time I saw it, I was like, what did I just watch? I gotta, I gotta watch this again. Yeah. It, it was. You know, I, I think was, there's something about that movie that like men relate to. Because I think there's a little bit of that inside all of us, where you're just, you're just, you know, there's a part of you that just wants to do everything that he does in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think <laughs> men part of know me. that 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 suppressed <laughs> anger. Yeah. Every single part of me, and yeah. it, and it, uh, you're right about the man thing. I didn't never really thought about it because there's the whole uh, issue of being kind of a, a failed father, mm-hmm. uh, um, and having lied to everybody, and the city kind of being a failed experiment too and everything's a lie and everything's yeah that corrupt. construction scene is with the kid and the, the bazooka yes have you ever so seen good. a scene like that in any movie no, i haven't no any and just the, I that would, that's exactly how i would handle that scenario though and if i had if i was in his shoes i would yeah i would do the exact same thing even when he goes off on his little bit of a racist rant with the with the vietnamese guy in the store mm-hmm. you're like okay well you're you're off the mark dude but like i get it I get why you're mad. If you if you grew up in like that cookie cutter American, um, you know, home, mm-hmm. then you are wondering why the fuck there's all these foreigners in your country and yeah. what, what happened. As a white to- cisgendered male, I have no opinion on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> you don't identify. No, um, I don't identify with anything. In fact, I'm probably culturally appropriating something just sitting here. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Probably. That chair. That chair. Yeah, this chair. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, sir? <laughs> I think it's a maybe one of the few a few gifts to bi- uh, ambiguously biracial men such as myself that we can <laughs> indulge in uh, vicious like racist dialogue in films and stuff and be like fascinating. Yeah. You see, there's a sociopolitical angle to it, right? Yeah. If I was in any way like like white, like I could just yeah. not make those comments. I could. I really <laughs> resonate with that scene in Falling Down. You know. Yeah. And he, <laughs> you know. You know, with the no. Nazi guy and the suit <laughs> surplus, yeah. and the surplus, and. Yeah. But that was, again, what a great scene, because just when you're ready to like write him off as a frustrated, bigoted white guy, he meets like an extreme case, and he's like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, we'll get him all. We'll get him. We'll get him all. And you're like, no, no, you're, you're a monster. And he just fucking, yeah, I think he, he kills him, doesn't he? I think he, he blows him away. If the, I remember correctly, the, yeah, in the backstory. Spoiler alert. The Nazi guy. Yeah, so um, I mean, me personally, I really resonate with like the first half of American History X. You know, like not so much the <laughs> second half. <laughs> Man, for it's years, just, I got compared to that dude. Oh my in god! Because I was a uh, big fat dude wearing dickies yeah. and you know combat shorts and chains and Doc Martens, and everybody's like, Ooh, really? I'm like, I'm not. It's <laughs> And not he, that guy. He yeah. had the worst scene in the movie too, where he's driving by himself in the truck, singing along to like, like the. 
um, the the, the white man marches yeah. on. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We'll kill them all, Jew by Jew by Jew. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like he that role would nobody would have touched that role in yeah. 2016, right? Yeah. It was still kind of ambiguous enough that you could get away with something. I don't even like know that. that you could put out a movie like that in 2016. I don't. In I don't general, think so. I don't think you could. There would be a shitstorm, man. What what studio is going to put that movie out? They yeah. they get upset about about changing the race of a superhero comic book character yeah, yeah. Well, that's it's like a, that's a, no, that's like a debate the ghostbusters situation you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's like that's what they're putting out like how many scripts are out there available to be read new scripts written by new people with fresh minds with fresh ideas and they're putting out ghostbusters reboots right it's like ghostbusters has been, has been done can we put maybe something else out yeah you know well there's stacks of scripts in offices in in california they're just going unread yeah you know and they're like well i know what we'll do <laughs> well, Ghostbusters, but with not girls a, this time. They're not a sure thing, you know? They're yeah. not a sure thing. And like everyone else right now, is the internet, uh, what's happened with the internet is for companies, instead of, some of them are harnessing the power of the technology to really like, you know, what I can think of, you know, Elon Musk and those guys who are putting it to work to further, mm-hmm. I guess, human thought and, and, and technology. But some companies are just looking to use it to, uh, I guess, to like beat the game, right? So like, you can almost imagine at this point these films are getting greenlit made by some aggregator like mm-hmm. software you know like it, that just scans keywords on the internet and is like and anything that qualifies what's going on right now uh, third wave feminism okay good uh, what else uh, gender debates okay that's hot okay Ghostbusters a lot of people love Bill Murray and remember, always wondering if there's going to be a third one and it just pulls in all these things like cling like, like a micro like, a, like an oven I wonder yes. how much of it has to do also with like because so much of it is stuff that came from like a particular period of time it's right. like the golden like the stuff that you know uh somewhat the john hughes uh not well john still hughes. like or like the uh the limit of millennials and then generation x like the beginning of yeah, that 80s 90s like 80s 90s because it's that's probably the most likely demographic to actually go out and spend their money right. on on movies you know mm-hmm. so they're trying to tap into that nostalgia factor and yeah you know i mean it works well it's the reason why yeah. when we were kids there was all like bridges of madison county and shit like that <laughs> like they were they were appealing to the 70s crowd that loved those actors and wanted to see them in romantic films and yeah and, or like revenge movies you know with uh, charles bronson and and such but uh yeah no it almost seems now like Literally, the computer goes ding, 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 like five keywords, right? The Google <laughs> keywords or whatever that are hot. And then they hire a bunch of writers to mm-hmm. like do something with that. And then quickly check what they've optioned, what's in their option bag. Uh, do we have Ghostbusters? Uh, it's coming back to us next week. All right, all right. Let's get that. Um, let's make it chicks. Who's hot right now? Who are the hot girls right now? Oh, the SNL girls. Okay, let's get those girls in there. And oh, uh, get a black one too. Get a black one, and uh, <laughs> you know, like, and it's almost it almost seems like literally like pizza movie making. You know, yeah, like an algorithm. Just, yeah, yeah <laughs> like it, like you said, it's like an algorithm. They're just punching this like you know, just raking the internet for data and just pumping out what they think we want to see. Yeah, the writers are hired after <laughs> the fact. Yeah, and you write pro and you write con, and we'll see which one works best, and we'll sell the other one. We'll sell you whichever. As one. As long as somebody has a really strong reaction to it, either for or against, that's good. Yeah. No, I mean you uh, could just still click on it. Have we started the podcast, by the way? Yeah, man, we're rolling. Yeah, we're, we're rolling. Oh, you know. Thanks a lot. Now I'm gonna yeah. update it this time. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks, welcome Danny. To the show. Actually, that's, that's a, a pretty good. It's an honor to be back. Uh, welcome, James. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really cool that you uh, you made it out. Uh, almost didn't happen because of uh, because I didn't check in with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, you were a, a good sport, and you managed to uh, come down. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, the master of ceremonies. Um, I guess you could say this man is the what laser beak or rumble is to transformers. He's mm. to fire in a hole. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, you mm-hmm. like that comparison? Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that. So we're his co-host. Speaking of nostalgia, (laughs) (laughs) taps right into that. I'd like to welcome not only you guys, but also uh, welcome everybody back, all the listeners. Welcome back to The Real Show. (laughs) Now that you're back. Now that I'm back. (laughs) They were on a hiatus. This is really, when you think about it, it's episode one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. You've been on three episodes. There's really only three episodes. (laughs) So welcome back to you. Danny Show. The Danny Show. Welcome to The Danny Show. Danny Show. So you guys we already have a theme song, guys. We, we've been on this jingle thing for the last little bit. I don't know why. I think it started with him, Facebook, ar- uh, terrible Facebook yeah. arguments. Terrible yeah. Facebook arguments. Did that, was that from the actual, uh, was that on the actual episode? Or was that in the bonus one that didn't end up? Uh, the bonus one that didn't, the bonus that didn't one. make it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we just invariably end up, one of us <laughs> happens, we'll, we'll step in a puddle somewhere online and mm-hmm. we'll, there'll be a little bit of a you know fiasco. And then we, and we realized it was like a reoccurring thing. And so it became terrible Facebook arguments, yeah. right? And you were saying that you, you've had your share, right? Oh, you, man. You've had your Just, share. I, it's yeah. changed the way I use social media. I'm, I'm terrified of the internet now. Because, I, I mean, I, I'm very active on social media, and I don't... Uh, I mean, I try not to post anything too controversial anymore. But even even my my best efforts to keep, thing is, keep things as, um, as comedic and, and lighthearted as possible always ends up upsetting somebody. I mean, I'm capped out on Facebook. Like my personal Facebook has got like five thousand friends. You're not allowed to add more than that. But it's such a wide, diverse range of people that, like, someone's upset about something at all times. It's yeah, just, yeah. The and, I've, and I've there's been one incident in particular that just got really out of hand, really fast. Can you tell us about it? Sure. All right. <laughs> so I believe it was 2014. Yoko Ono played Glastonbury, 2014. For Maybe it was 2015. Reason. I can't remember. Don't quote me. But Yoko Ono played the Glastonbury Festival. And uh, it was horrible. The, the footage surfaced online and it's just... I'm shocked. It's honestly, man, like just really, really, really horrible. And and I I was watching it. I watched it all the way through. I gave it like a, you know, as solid of a chance as I could give it. You know, I was like, okay, maybe there's something redeeming here that I'm not seeing. I'm going to give this a shot. And I watched the entire performance. And it was horrendous. And I, I posted it saying something to the effect of, oh man, I'm even afraid to say it here, but <laughs> something to the effect of, you know, the only reason this person got to play this festival is because many years ago, she fucked someone that was so famous that even long after his passing, she is still famous. Which mm-hmm. is completely accurate. And the fucking internet exploded. <laughs> really? The internet just was like, no, 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 no. Well, hang on. You're a racist. You're a misogynist. You're all these things. What? And I was like trying to explain, look, it has nothing to do with who she is or, or you know, that she's a woman or, you know, that she's not white. You know, I said, I know the name Kevin Federline for the exact same reason. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, who knows, who, who's K-Fed? Yeah. I own, the only reason I know his name is because he slept with someone much more famous than him. Right, right. Right, so... Kato, Kalen, etc. There's yeah. like a whole, whole battery of these. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an, endless, an endless laundry list of, of people who are famous because of who they fucked. Yeah. And, and Yoko Ono's on that list. I'm sorry, but she is. 
And immediately people were like, you know, no, but she was famous before John Lennon. How? Well, she was an artist and she was well known in the art scene in, in like New York and, and, and places like that. You know, like we're she's from some like million millionaire family, isn't she? She's from some like I don't know enough I think about she's her. She's the no. heiress to some like huge fortune in Japan. Like that she doesn't wasn't surprise me at all. She's some rich Japanese woman. Sure. Like she wasn't anyway. But yeah, she was I mean, she was doing these performance art pieces, you know, that were, you know, interesting and thought provoking, whatever. She was not a household name. She became a household name because of John Lennon. Somehow she pussy whipped that guy. Somehow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's debatable. I don't. I mean, who knows the whole story? I don't know the nature of their the relationship she had with him, other than the fact that it was hugely controversial. And I know that I know that the only reason I know her name is because of the Beatles and because right. of John Lennon. Right. And I and I and I ex- tried to explain this to people, and they just they started to swarm, and it started to get really out of hand really quickly, and it started to get scary because the conversation. Like, I mean, I went to bed. And woke up to something like you know fourteen hundred comments, and the the status had been shared uh, something like twenty five hundred times, and it started to like go mildly viral. And then I started to get emails from like metal news websites, and uh, a radio station in Toronto called me to comment on it. And I was like, "This is no, I got to stop now. I got to back away from this because I'm I know how these things go, and I know as you know a white cisgendered heterosexual male." that this is not going to go in my favor. And that's fine. These people just are not understanding what I'm trying to say. Just this knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, well, he's he's speaking out against someone who's not white, who is not male. Like, the knee-jerk reaction is like that I'm a shitlord, which I'm not, you know, at all. This is madness. Who thought like uh, fucking? Well, shitlord is like the term for like the for me, white for guys like me. Yeah. Uh, totally. straight. Lord, really? Yeah, that's, that's like that's like the top of the patriarchy is the shitlord. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I did a test online. Yeah, I've done it too. Check yeah, your privilege. Check yeah. your privilege, right? Yeah. And then we're shitlords, of course. Yeah. But I mean, if you if you think about it, like it's, the patriarchy is a spectrum, right? I'm not Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper is a shitlord. Right, you know that's a rich man, who, who's led a life of privilege. Yeah, I'm slumming it with everybody else, man. I live, I live well below the poverty line, for by Canadian standards, and I have marginalized myself by covering my entire body in tattoos that I can't hide. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to say that like I'm a victim by any stretch, but I'm not saying, but I, you know, I'm not a shitlord. You know what I mean? I'm not part of what you would call the patriarchy. I don't think. You know what I mean? Like, and if I am. I'm at the low end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that said, the you know, it started to get out of hand so quickly that I had to just delete the post and like, you know, I did there's a part of me that just still like the you know, that metal part of me that wants to be like, fuck you. Right. This is what I think, and I don't care how much you disagree with it, but I'm also I've seen firsthand just how bad things can go for people who take that stance. This is really surprising to hear this. I mean, to think that uh, Yoko Ono of all people, people would get would rally such rage around somebody who mo- most of these people probably don't even know who the fuck she is. Like they had to wiki it to, to find out who she was, right? Because mm. I can't imagine anyone from she's our generation. Pretty, she's pretty household. She's, she's a household name for sure, man. And, and th- this is the thing is that all these people who were like, oh no, like, I mean, you're ta- I'm talking like a 28-year-old who's like, do you know that she was like a performance artist? And I was like, okay, right. But you weren't alive when she was a performance artist. Yeah. You she was know- barely our, our generation. Barely our generation. Barely. Yeah. Barely. She That's was it. even before our time. That's it. So I'm like, the only reason anybody knows, I mean, even if you look at her Wikipedia page, it's like divided like pre-John Lennon and post-John yeah. Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's guys, her life. Have you guys ever seen the Bill Burr did this really great bit about it? Oh, did you see the? This is where things got started to get out of hand. Is that that know. exact video? Right. Got posted in this conversation, and I commented that I thought that video was funny. You guys which know which is. video is talking about? Where he uh, he talks about the time that John Lennon did a. Oh yeah, with Chuck Berry. With Chuck Berry. Yeah. And Yoko starts <laughs> like shrieking. Yeah. She, yeah. 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 Okay. So somebody connected somebody that to what you were saying. Connected that to what I was saying, and I thought that it was really funny, and I. Honestly, I lost friends over this. I, you know, like there are people who were like, you, you know, I thought you were a good person. Like everything they know about me, all of my actions throughout my entire lifetime, completely negated by the fact that I dislike Yoko Ono. Well, I'm sorry. These but are real friends or Facebook friends? No, like actual friends, people who wow. like I've stayed in their home. There was like a year of not. I mean, I've mended fences with one of those people, but it was, and even even then, it's not the same as it was. This is nonsense. I don't understand this. I it's, understand this. How could somebody? write you off based on an opinion that you you expressed that wasn't even that controversial but, that i well i i appreciate that you don't think it was that controversial i really don't you know i i mean even like because even if it was read out of context once i provided the context of that this is not specific to her because of you know who you know the fact that she's a woman or you know that she's asian like i use the kevin federline example you know like it's this works across the board it has nothing to do it's about celebrity worship not about race or gender you know what I mean, and I think celebrity worship is fascinating, and I find I find it fascinating that this her her fame is enduring, you know, this far into the future. Based it's entirely on John because the Beatles were like the most famous people basically in the world. Like they, you know, it wasn't he wasn't inaccurate in saying that amongst young people. <laughs> they were bigger than Jesus, you know, <laughs> and he got destroyed for that. But he wasn't wrong, you know. He wasn't wrong at that point. Yeah, you know. I'd like to honestly see these people sit. I'd like to meet someone who wants to sit down across from me and vigorously defend Yoko Ono's <laughs> artwork and her as an artist and all that. I guarantee you, like, not one percent of these people actually knew what the fuck they were talking about, and they just saw an opportunity <laughs> to vindicate. First of all deflect any you know any any sort of uh, uh, fear of racism and attention and any sort of inner turmoil they might have about what they feel towards various races and genders mm -hmm. and stuff and they just saw an opportunity to basically have themselves a fucking like uh, roast right they just roasted you basically yeah. out on the spit well, this is what it's become outrage is entertainment for people now that's what it is the mob just right. they just took well that's target. What, yeah you're an easy target because you're public and you're in that demographic that's just mm -hmm. You know, easy to target. You can you can bully a cisgendered, you know, white male mm -hmm. without any consequences. Mm -hmm. Pretty like much, you're basically yeah. it's open season on white dudes. Oh, absolutely. And, and to even complain about it, it's like, yeah, boo hoo, fucking yeah. the most privileged person ever. Yeah, know? look, he's a white male. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. a white male drinking the male tears. He's probably raping someone right now. <laughs> Right no, now. but really, what it what ends he's up? He's oppressed. Yeah. He's a white fucking man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boo hoo. But yeah, uh, what That's ends crazy, up happening? Dude. I think what ends up happening, and you just ended up on the wrong side of uh, of a mob. You know, yeah. you just mob mentality happens, and it doesn't matter what the fuck you're saying at that point. The mob has has decided you are the target, mm -hmm. and they're they're not they're not actually looking to hear your point and be like. Oh, maybe I'm gonna get my mind changed. Yeah, maybe like, I could land a satellite on a comet, right? And I'd get in trouble for the shirt that I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Maybe I've done things to advance humankind. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
and and none of that matters to these people. Right. And this, like I said, it's a form of entertainment to be that outraged and to speak out vocally about it. It's it's just entertainment. The same way I feel like a lot of the, the protests we see in the streets of Montreal every summer are a form of entertainment for these people. It's a day out for these people. Holy right. shit, is it ever. You know, when this, do you remember the student protests we had I a couple years the, ago? I was in the heart of it because I was going to my classes while mm-hmm. these, these fucking kids were trying to block me from going to class. Right. While I was paying my way through, going full-time, I had a kid, mm-hmm. the works, and I had to hear these 22-year-olds trying to form human chains around my fucking film theory classes telling exactly. me that... Tell me all this nonsense, but yeah, I remember. I remember it's, it's, they were partying. And, the thing is, and then, but then it rains, and they all go home. Yeah. So really, you have to ask yourself, like, okay, what? What is more important? This is like bad weather. Trump social justice. Exactly. Or is this just a form of entertainment for you? You should have seen mm-hmm. the line at the dean's office at the end of that semester, mm-hmm. where all of these kids came back begging for some sort of. Uh, temporary continuance whatever oh, I so would they, have loved to have documented those lines they, they didn't want to fail their classes that they they basically skipped right to do go protests mm-hmm. quote unquote and uh, some of the teachers I talked to had like the best response they were like you know we're doing you a favor by failing your ass yeah because there's now an, you've actually sacrificed something for your supposed cause right yeah mm. so we're actually doing right by you by you failing you didn't learn anything yeah yeah <laughs> if I pass you, you now learn, you didn't learn anything <laughs> right you know? literally well when it comes to those protests because uh, that's one of the few times I actually remember you and I we had we had differing uh, views on that I, I was very outspoken about how I felt about the protests and yeah the cause itself and right you know I mean this was the austerity or the school fees things I it was mean, the it was the tuition hike yeah but the tuition hike became something bigger because the tuition hike started as just uh, they were they wanted to hike the tuition which I was I was uh, quietly a supporter of of uh, of them protesting against it and not just I think accessible education is very important mm-hmm. and I think that just because we have the lowest tuition in the country doesn't mean that we should just like be you know all for it if they decide to, to jack it up mm-hmm. because no it should be accessible to everybody and it shouldn't be us that's moving up to everybody else's mm-hmm. uh, high tuition. It should be everybody else moving down to us. I, I agree with you on that. I agree yeah. that the rest of the country should catch up and I'm the same way I feel, you know, Montreal, I mean, I, I would feel the same way if the, if the rent started to go up in Montreal. Yeah, exactly. The way it is in Vancouver and Toronto and it, where it's basically impossible to live there yeah, if you're like, a man of my station it, in life. It's like know? if they started, if, if, if uh, rent starts going up here and then we start fighting against it and then everybody in Vancouver, it, where it is fucked, by the way, um, them being like, oh, boo-hoo, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, no, you're not helping, you know, we're we're trying to go for the right thing, which is keeping it low, and just because you guys have it fucked over there doesn't mean that everybody else should, like, mm-hmm. rise to your level. I, I didn't, uh, my, my issue with it is I didn't feel the hike was, was uh, unfair, I felt like it was a reasonable hike. And it has to go up eventually. And when it goes up, there's always going to be resistance. But I still, even even with the hike, it would still have been the lowest in the country. And I do feel like the rest of the country should lower their, you know, their their tuition fees to to match Quebec's. I feel like that. Should, I mean, it shouldn't be a province by province thing. You know, I agree with all that. My main other, issue uh, that I have with that whole situation was the tactics used to protest it. Smoke bombs in the metros, defacing of war memorials, just con- constant disruption of the city. You know, just it, it was not helping anybody. In fact, it was hurting the city and it was hurting people who were like, like myself, who were just trying to go to work, you know, 
It's like I almost lost my job because I couldn't get to my job on time because of this nonsense. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have to be. I shouldn't have to be held hostage so that you can pay a little bit less tuition. You know, it's like these tactics are not helpful. And the thing is, I I went. I was very outspoken about it online, and I went on CJAD. They asked me to come on, and you know, which is a local Montreal radio station, and I was on a talk radio show and did an appearance there and spoke my mind there and like death threats followed, you know, with like my address attached and like, really? Because I'm, you know, that's, that's how strongly you believe in this. But you went home when it rained. You went home when it rained. You were no longer taken to the streets when it was raining outside, you know, and all winter, like you weren't continuing your protests. It's like your fair weather, you know, activists, you know, literally literally fair weather weather (laughs) activists. And I I mean, but, uh, but you'll feel so passionately about it that you're willing to kill me. I felt there was, I had another perspective on this, this whole protesting, um, where I wasn't even really, I couldn't even really get into the, whether it's fair or not to bring up the tuition because I was back in university at the time doing my film degree. And I was keenly aware of one of the, uh, local situations at the university I was going on because I managed to snag like a huge conference room in the, in the John Molson school of business building that had just been built. I, the president's boardroom. I was able to get it f- as a location for my second year film uh, because there was no dean. And I was like dealing directly with this sweet little secretary lady who was like super kind of uh, friendly to us. And I was so like, not part of the patriarchy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she was in a shitlord. Um, and <laughs> the reason there was no dean, uh, and this ties into why I didn't have an opinion either way really, is because they had been excused for mismanagement of school, like school funds, mm-hmm. and I felt like the whole protest got out of hand and it overshadowed the real issue. See, I never even heard about that. Which was the monies are criminally mismanaged in the universities. Mm-hmm. There's a reason there are shortages and monies aren't are not getting where they are going because these fucking crooks are managing the schools. They're shilling out the schools. They're selling them out to corporations, mm-hmm. which is why you'll end up. May remember Dawson being With in the, the Coke in, machines, fucking taking a piss and having an absolute vodka ad in your face. Yeah, in CJF, yeah. right? So imagine the Coke machines, the whatever, just just selling out the entire institution, mm-hmm. mismanaging the fucking money. And then uh, excusing these people when they get caught with golden handshakes, naturally, they all leave with two, three hundred thousand uh, dollar, you know, goodbyes. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, everyone's at each other's throat about how high the, the, the fee should be when no one realizes the problem is the money isn't being managed in the first place. Right. So you could raise it. You could keep it low. It's still being stolen. Right. And no one no one was listening to that. And when I saw that nobody was even saying that, right. and everyone had like basically joined sides, I was like, "Fuck this! I just got to finish my degree and get out of here." Yeah, so it's, that was, it's, that was it's very situation. much like in the you know in the states. There's there's uh, you know there's all this talk about about accessible healthcare and you know taxes and all that. And really, what it, when it comes down to it, the uh, military industrial complex is so massive and they spend so many fucking trillions of dollars it's a third of the every budget, year. A third of the, is it a third of their it's a budget? a third of the budget, I think, yeah. And like you hear the people coming back from war zones saying like, 
they're just wasted. They're just wasting so much money. They're like building buildings that they know are never going to be used just because they don't want to have, you know, when you have a bu- budget surplus. That old game, yeah. That old game. Like they're just they're just wasting as much mm-hmm. money as possible to make sure that they have they have the same budget the next year. They and imported like, sand to the desert for a volleyball court. Yeah, exactly. That that kind of shit. Whereas like wow. if they just I used to ask him if man. they just acted Anyways, anyways, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you and your privilege. First Nations, yeah. I don't even know anymore. But if they were just, like, even at, whatever your stance is on war, if you were just slightly more efficient with your money, everybody would have access to healthcare. Everybody, you know? Uh, and that's one of the big, that was one of the big arguments uh, during the, the student protests, too, was just like, if, if the schools were more efficient with their money, then it would be much more accessible for everybody. You would well. need to put those costs on the backs of the students. And on the end and you know, like That's the immediate thing, right? It's yeah. like, oh well let's just charge people more. But not look at the machine. No exactly. Yeah. Don't examine how this thing is running. Let's just jack up the fucking price, you know. So <laughs> continue the inefficiencies. But my so my issue with it so I was a silent uh, kind of supporter of accessible education and but I wasn't really paying all that much attention until Bill 78, when it was the anti-protest bill that came into it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I became uh, involved. And that's when I started hitting the streets. And uh, I was out there in the rain. I got a fucking sound grenade blew up right next to me in Casey's head. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we, I was kettled twice in the winter. You know, like, it was... It was hard out there. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. easy, and by that point, there weren't all that. It wasn't all like the fair the, weather ones. It wasn't all the fair weathers. It was like mm-hmm. it was a lot of the of the hardcores that were out there, and and I was out there with them, and um, and it was tough, man. You're out there in the cold, surrounded by riot cops. Mm-hmm. You know, for three hours, no access to bathrooms, no food, no nothing. Mm-hmm. I even just like. Just being an asshole, I was like, I'm diabetic. I'm not, but I said, like, I need my insulin. They're like, fuck you. Like they. Well, this is the thing is they know you're lying. I mean, I've been a bouncer for 16 years, and it's like the lies I've heard over the years. It's just, it's unbelievable. And as a cop, honestly, they get lied to day in and day out, up and down, all day, every day. It's like they're constantly being lied to, constantly. Right. So it's like that kind of callous, like, I don't care that you're diabetic. You know, you put yourself in this position. If you are actually diabetic, I didn't ask you to be here. You said you're not. You showed up and you're here. Like right. it's not my responsibility. But what I did was not illegal. Yeah. And I'm also I'm not a student. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, a grown man with children and a job, mm-hmm. and I pay your fucking salary. And you're not even showing your badge number, which is required by law. Mm-hmm. That's actually illegal. Protesting is not, and yet I'm stuck in a fucking kettle for mm-hmm. three hours, you know? That kind of shit, that's where it was like, to me, um, that was really important to preserve the, uh, that part of democracy. And one of, one of the, I'm glad we get to talk about this now, mm-hmm. you know? Because uh, uh, one of the big issues that you and I didn't agree on, I remember some of the, the um, posts that, that you were saying, mm-hmm. and I agree with a lot of the sentiment. You were saying, like, the change has to come from you. You have to be the change that you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, my problem with that is that we get basically uh, we get to vote every four years or so uh, 
federally and who knows provincially mm-hmm. you know we get and we basically get to vote against some cartoonish villain mm-hmm. every time you know like our votes almost mean nothing because it's always we're always voting against somebody just fucking terrible right yeah and but that's yeah you're trying to vote strategically and yeah right exactly and that's our participation in the dem- uh, democratic process and what i really believe is like things like peaceful protests uh those are the, are necessary uh even though they may be inconvenient, they're very, very necessary uh, elements of the democratic process. Mm-hmm. It, that's, that's where people get heard in between elections, you know? And, and yeah, it sucks when, when you're late for work or when, you know, uh, it's inconvenient if there's a traffic jam, whatever, because you've got a crowd of people walking by and stuff. But I think that that's kind of the point, too, is, is yeah, get out of your your bubble where you're it's just where it's just like get up have breakfast go to work come home Mm -hmm. watch tv you know just get out forcing people out of their comfort zone a little bit to to realize oh there's something actually happening right now and and you might you might want to pay attention you know Mm -hmm. because if you don't then we're just going to end up with uh you know the same amount of tuition as everywhere else or protests being illegal or protests being illegal right. and and maybe whether whatever you feel about this particular subject of the of of the student tuition because like i said i was a silent supporter but it wasn't like a huge huge deal for me mm-hmm. to me the idea of uh, the ability to protest you might fucking want that later on when yeah. it's something else that's well, what I got the thing, to. like as far as you know civil disobedience goes like i mean i'm very right leaning on some topics and i'm very left leaning on other topics you know what i mean it, honestly if i felt that like my freedom was really genuinely being infringed upon like the word fascist gets thrown a lot around a lot in north america and we don't know the first thing about fascism here right you know what i mean like realistically speaking like we don't we have no like there's no frame of reference for like true fascism here you know it's like you got pepper sprayed but you didn't have your breast cut off and fed to you right you know what i mean like it's you know it's yeah being pepper pepper sprayed sucks but it's not it's not fascism you know what i mean so like when i see things like that like i get it you know i if if i if i really felt like there's a genuine threat to my freedom or my family's freedom or well-being or safety like i would i would not be afraid to take up arms against my oppressors like, I'm that guy. Like, I'll take to the streets, too. If I really feel like this is, like, a cause worth, you know, fighting for, I, you know, I'll take to the streets, too. Civil disobedience has its place and its role. You know, I'm not... I have no problem with that. I What I disagree with is, like, smoke bombs in the metro for tuition hike. I, I, I disagreed with that. with that, too, yeah. You know, I think a lot like of the protesters wildly did. Wildly dangerous. Yeah. You know, and, and it's you're, you're, you're crippling an entire city at that point. And you're coming off... Like, you know, if it was something like... Well, you know what? All of the food in the grocery stores is now going up to like astronomical prices, prohibitively expensive. So like we're going to do that now. We're going to government, re- you know, regulate the price of food and we're going to make it really difficult so that only certain people can afford to eat. Like, okay, well, now I'm going to find a gun. You know what I mean? And I'll take to the streets with everybody else and I'll, you know, I'll take what I need to, to feed my family. You know what I mean? Like civil, civil disobedience has a time and a place. You know, like in South America where they tried to... The tax the rainwater or something like that. Like you know, they, you're not allowed to collect rainwater. Right, right. You know, right. in the states, that's a thing. In the states, like yeah, okay, like let's 
you want to take away the rainwater I'm collecting in drums, like, to feed my cattle or whatever? Like, yeah, I'll fight you, you know what I mean, on this. But I'm not, you know, I'm not taking to the streets and setting off smoke bombs and, you know, completely crippling a city over, you know, a a tuition hike. But the thing is that um, things like putting smoke bombs in the metro, that's that's illegal. That's Mm -hmm. an illegal act. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the vandalization stuff, that is illegal. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the police already have the mandate to go after those people for breaking the law. Mm-hmm. It's not the fact that we are allowed to protest that causes these things to happen. Mm-hmm. That's people breaking the no, actual I agree. law, yeah, right? I agree. So, so we don't need to actually, we don't need to limit people's uh, ability to, uh, to protest or, you know, we don't need to limit civil dis- disobedience, you know. Mm-hmm. We need to just continue to enforce the actual laws that, you know, that are in place mm-hmm. against these these violent acts. Yeah, but you see, what, what everything you're arguing for, while it's really sound, presupposes that there is a collective goodwill that you can count on and that you can sort of <clears throat> enforce amongst the protesters that there is a there's a common goal a set common movement and a set common sort of purpose uh and an understanding and a set of ground rules that will be observed by the majority when in fact there is no such thing there's within the protest groups you have factions right you have the guys that just come down to fuck shit up you have the guys that um you know there's there's fraction all sort of fractions inside of that movement and as policemen, while I do certainly do not endorse, like I remember the, the was it the G eight the one that whenever we went to Quebec City, you remember that big protest, the Montebello yeah. protest, yeah. and I consider seriously considered going up to it until I read that they had everything basically ready for the protesters. They had used tax money to erect a mile long fence uh, to keep the protesters completely, completely isolated away from anywhere from the fucking Crystal Towers. Where the, where the world leaders were meeting. Uh, and it would basically just be trekking to Quebec to go into a little cow pen and scream a bunch and maybe fuck up a couple of uh, second cups uh, and break some businesses, which pisses me off as that well. That drives me bonkers. Uh, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with the Montebello thing because Montebello is one of the ones that it was proven that there were actual, like... Uh, there were cops that of infiltrated course. the there protests. There were plants, exactly. Plants that made it violent. That to give them an excuse to shut it down. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just imagine now the row of policemen, and let's imagine the ones that we actually want want to be out there, not the not the assholes, not the guys that are coming to kick ass and spray people in the face. <clears throat> you see a bunch of people coming, yelling. There's a thousand people standing there chanting. How the hell do you know who you're facing? Right? How the hell do you know that 150 to 500 of those are people coming out to exercise their rights? Uh, they, they don't all stand in, in sections, right? It's all one mob, right? And in it is a guy who will stand behind you just you know, practicing or exercising your rights and will like leap over you and throw a broken bottle in his face. You know, like it's, it's yeah, not they as... They just don't know who they're dealing with. They don't know who they're dealing yeah, with you can and the protesters don't know who they're dealing with. They're not organized properly. They don't, they don't, they don't always know what the fuck they're doing. They're just going all mm-hmm. over the place and, and it's like, a, it's like a, a shit show on both sides, you know, and I, that's why I think that definitely 100% agree with you that the day we no longer have the right to protest and we're told where to go, and there's fields with like lines 
then it's time to actually. Well, that's what fucking Bill seventy eight was. Yeah, that's it was a limit. I I agree. It was a limit on the ability, and you had to uh, you had to submit an itinerary and have it approved by the police. Yeah, it's not before it before you were allowed to protest. So that your disruption is not actually disruption. It's not a disruption, exactly. And then that's such a slippery slope because then it's like. You, then you're getting into a negotiation period with like the, five o'clock is not good for us. Can yeah, exactly. Six? Yeah, or like <laughs> we don't like it in this area of town. Could you do it a little more on the outskirts? You know, or whatever it is, where you're st- you're getting into a position where now you're no- negotiating with the with the police, mm-hmm. and they're not. They're, that's not their not fucking their job. job. Their, their job. job is to enforce an existing set of rules. They don't. Mm-hmm. That's what they're there for. They're not there to to decide and that was that was one of the things that kept happening too it's like there would be certain protests that were allowed they would be like it's illegal but we'll tolerate it as long as nothing bad happens you know and like no man you don't get to fucking do that that's not you're not the right just if they're trying to you know and it's such a slippery slope trying to to mitigate you know, like allowing people their freedoms, but trying to mitigate the damage and, and the resulting disruption. It's like trying to f- strike a balance, you know, like we don't want to take away your freedoms, but you can't like you, you have no idea the effect you're causing, like the trickle down of like disrupting a city to that level. Like I like a guy like me, just the average fucking Joe Blow, you know, almost losing my job because I can't make it to work. Right. You know, it's like when there are people counting on me and then it's like you're really it's like you're you're hurting people, and so trying to find that balance, and and again trying to police, like because again, like he said, you, you don't you don't know who you're dealing with in that mob of people, right? And I mean, I've worked security uh, at a pub that was directly on a riot path from a Canadians game, and I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of a riot, but it is absolutely terrifying, right? And if you're responsible for the well-being of certain people, like I was responsible for the well-being of everybody inside the bar I was working at, to be caught on that riot path is absolutely horrifying you know and you don't know you don't know how to how to cope with it it's like i my reaction was to just lock everything down like keep everybody inside and not and you found out they were coming it was yeah we hockey, saw we saw a, them coming up the hockey street. right yeah right from the from the bell center like and the bar i was working at is like right on the path to st Catharines street where they were headed you know and it's like you, there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do as a security guard to like you know keep to stop it from happening so you have to keep your patrons safe you know, and it's like I, you know, it gives you a unique perspective when you're trying to think about, like, if okay, now if it's my responsibility to keep the city safe, like all, my, all I have to do is keep a room full of people safe. I just lock the door, nobody in or out. Drinks are free until we all unlock the door. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. That was the method we took. It worked well for us. But you know, if you're trying to keep a city safe and you're trying to keep storefronts safe and you're trying to keep, you know, uh, people safe from themselves, a whole block. Like, or- how do you do that? How do you do that without things like Bill Seventy Eight? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess you got to prepare for the worst of the lot, not for the reasonable. You know, you're not going out there uh, preparing for the reasonable guy with his with his kid on the you know yeah. around his shoulders. You're going out to deal with the guy who came to pipe bomb or to yeah. get in a good shot on the policeman or steal something or mm-hmm. uh, slam into a store. But but I guess what he's saying, and I can see it. It's almost like a parent uh, sitting his kid down and going like, "Okay, I know you let, you're going to throw a tantrum in the next couple of hours." So I'd like to talk to you about the things you're not allowed to break while you're doing this tantrum. In fact, if, if it's all not too much trouble, could you go down in the basement and I'll pad everything 
and uh, it's let's a perfect agree, analogy. Yeah, let's agree that you will you will scream to at like this level, no higher, because if you do, then I'm I'm going to come in and interview. Like you can't. It's not it's not reasonable. Yeah, but uh, I think I think uh, I I see a lot of your points, and I think I see a lot of yours. I as mean, well. there, there's just two sides of the coin, right? And I mean, being a, a metalhead and being you know touring musician. I think the majority of my friends are very, very, very left-leaning, and and I love that about all of them. And I, and I think you know, the, the power of that has created a lot of really awesome change in the past ten years socially. You know, like we're seeing gay marriage in the states is a thing now. Like that's a huge step. People, you know, like it shouldn't Recent. have even been a it shouldn't have even been a an argument to begin with. So these people do whatever they want. Who cares? You know, they're not hurting anybody. You know, but. We won that one. You know what I mean? We won that, you know, but like, and I consider that a victory because I have, you know, I have friends who, who, that, who directly benefit from that law change. You know what I mean? And that's great, you know, but when it comes to other topics, you know, I'm very right-leaning and this creates a lot of controversy because I have a bit of a soapbox online and I use that to, or I used to use that to speak my mind and it just, it's, it's reached a point where the hassle is no longer worth it for me. Have you really just, have you really stepped down because it's gotten that, that, yeah. that crazy? Yeah, I mean, death threats are serious, man. Like, you can't play with that. And I mean, it's, my perspective is different. You know, I used to be very, you know, like, all cops are bastards and like, fuck the pigs. And, you know, when I was a kid, because I used to have run-ins with the cops, but I was also like a young kid with a pile of attitude. And then working bars for the past 16 years and dealing with the kinds of people that the cops have to deal with on a daily basis. It's like I'm, my my perspective is drastically changed, you know. My brother gets upset with me all the time because I refer to people as animals sometimes. You know, it's like, well, the, you know, like I've seen dudes. Talk about Sean. Yeah, Sean. Yeah. Shout out to super, Sean. Yeah, sh- my brother Sean. Shout out. Sean Sabatini. Everybody <laughs> loves him, but he's, you know, he and I are very very close. But we're very different people, you know, and like he is much more liberal when it comes to matters like this. He's not a fan of the police at all. Whereas I, you know, you know what? Like I'm the first guy to 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 defend the police when people are like, "Oh, fucking pig!" I'm like, "Well, you know what? You can't do his job." And you know, as much as you hate the police, who are you calling if like somebody breaks into your place and tries to hurt you? You're calling those people, and I don't. You know, it's hypocritical I, too because I mean, it's very hypocritical. It's, it's just as I mean, if you're the the the, the outlaw protester type, mm-hmm. and you're like painting all the all the cops with the same brush. Well, you're hating you. You're one of the arguments against them is that all they see us as all scum and mm-hmm. da, 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 right. So like, there's a whole weird circular, like like a non a lot flawed logic there. Well, so de- dehumanizing the the opposing yeah, force essentially. This is my problem with 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 so much. This, when I talk about being outrage being entertainment now, like it, this is this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about where it's like, you know. All these people who are just the, the loudest voices for social change and social progress and in equality and creating an egalitarian society are the, the meanest people I've ever met because they're outrage. They're, they're enjoying, the, honestly, without saying it or admitting it, they're enjoying the outrage so much that it's, you know, for me to, to you know, say something about Yoko Ono and the you know the comments from these people who are like well no that's not a nice thing to say you fucking piece of shit you fucking yeah. cocksucker you, you know yeah. like I'm gonna kill you I'm you gonna kill you you know like piece of garbage yeah, shit you fucking I want nothing fuck. to fucking do with you yeah. you fucking piece of shit you know like like really like I thought you were all about tolerance yeah. and equality and acceptance and, you know? be a little bit more loving about this like, yeah. the <laughs> right? like why don't we have a conversation about this yeah, instead yeah. of you cutting me out of your life yeah you know all the times that you know you, you've seen me in the line of uh, of work, stand between an actual misogynist 
and and the person he's oppressing, be it his, his wife or his girlfriend or whatever, you know, like, I'm the guy who stands in between that abusive piece of shit and his victim of a partner, you know, like, I'm that guy. But that doesn't mean anything when I tell you that Yoko Ono should have has no fucking place on a major festival stage. They're words. Well, you're a shitlord. But I'm a shitlord. Yeah. No, but words. I think, uh, and and I was starting to say before, but uh, you ended up on the on the bad side of a mob, you mm-hmm. know, and being on on the bad side of a mob, I think I have the cure for it. I think I know what to do. Oh, please tell me. Just, just go silent. You just stop feeding the flames. As soon as you stop talking, they can maybe their comments are going to keep going for a little while until mm-hmm. they realize that the victim or like their target is no longer even entertaining this conversation. Mm-hmm. They're done. Like the, now they're just eating the themselves. Over. And then maybe they'll just start arguing amongst themselves. They they'll find do. a new target. You know? Yeah, they do. But all you really need to do is just just. Just go silent. That's and the Ari Shafir approach. Yeah, yeah. Just he's talked about that online a few times. Yeah. Because, you know, he, comedians get in trouble all the time for saying stuff that they shouldn't be saying. Well, quote unquote, shouldn't be saying. Yeah. You know, and he's like, just shut up, let yeah. it, let it blow over, and then you can come back. And then no one gives a fuck. Mm-hmm. No one gives a fuck anymore. Fair yeah. Fair well, what's crazy is you know you're 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 a you're you're a metalhead. You're a guy who's been in the band since what like what age? Uh, well, I started. Started really doing it seriously in 2003, 2004. Okay, so a good almost... 12, 13 years, yeah. 12, 13 years of basically the most abrasive, antisocial type of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably lyrics criticizing everything from uh, what's on the table to who's running the country to to social issues to... Yeah, basically uh, anything I'm passionate about, yeah. Chopping alien fetuses in half with yeah. a giant sword or whatever. I'm very passionate about that, yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's it's so funny, right? Like, you can release an album about, about about you know, uh, eating fetuses and no one no no one will be like, oh, yeah, it's just like, that's metal music, you know? That's like, whatever. That's an album or whatever. That's this, that's that. But then you'll say, like, Yoko Ono sucks. Everybody fucking yeah. flips out. And was that a Yoko Ono impression? No, no, I can't. No, no, it's, no that would have been more like... It would have been pretty good, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sounds more like the, a mixture between an alien signal from another planet and like a dying uh, like dolphin or something, a beach <laughs> dolphin. And a modem connecting. An old dot matrix printer. Yeah. <laughs> all those sounds together. But... Have, be prior to social media and all this other stuff, um, just as a musician, did you encounter any of this? Did you get any like heat as a musician or uh, as a metal dude, as a tattoo? No, because no one can hear what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, no one can understand shit. I can understand it. No, I mean, I definitely. Uh, I mean, I've definitely run into trouble, you know, on stage a couple times, just saying some nonsense on stage into a microphone. You know what I mean? It's like the poor man's Facebook. You know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely like I'm not shy about how I feel about certain things, and you know, it's like you're not like. Phil Anselmo bad, though. No. No, never, man. <laughs> You're not see Kylie people. No. <laughs> no. Can you believe what that What a shit? disappointment, man. I'm Jesus. a big Phil Anselmo fan, and that, that was a broke very... broke my heart, man. It broke my heart, too, man. You know, it's like... I know with Pantera, there was always kind of a lot of... Rumors. You know, a lot of that... Well, not just rumors. Like, I've seen stuff. You know, even if you watch their... Um, their you know they call them home videos that they put out back in the day you know yeah there was that there was that home video right where they like uh they would prank each other or do uh, yeah they all you know they put out a few of them like a vulgar video and things like you know and in the background and some of those i mean i remember as a kid watching those those tapes and you know on vhs and like backstage with some of the venues that they were playing just graffiti on the walls kind of like 
Aryan graffiti and kind of questionable. And I was like, nah, I don't know how I feel about yeah, that. He's probably there before and they got there. And seeing Pantera in Montreal, then like you know, seeing some fucked up shit on stage, some race, Phil seeing some racist shit on stage. He did some racist shit or here in Montreal, man. There's a video of it on YouTube. You can oh, find. Oh no! Yeah, it's unfortunate, and it's uh, you know, it, it's that kind of stuff where you know, man, just stop talking. You know, yeah. I really like you're a great frontman, you're a great singer, your band's great. Just don't, just don't talk. Yeah, because you're a drunken idiot. You know what I mean? I think From the he, south, and and I mean, I. So, what kind of things would you would you say when you like you got in trouble for? <laughs> <laughs> what what things did you say in the past that you'd like to get in trouble for again? No, no, no. no. What <laughs> do you sometimes blush about when you're in the shower? Just no, no. Alone? I'm curious because yeah. the Yoko Ono thing, I honestly like Why that. That really surprised that? me. What? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know. Without getting too too specific, yeah, give us I've, I've drunkenly I've drunkenly made comments about you know Yoko, a no. waitress that was working the venue we were playing you know things I shouldn't have been saying on stage but you know like I get it it's, it wasn't nothing horribly offensive but it just I have said some dumb things on stage okay. absolutely in the in a like juvenile super, stuff just juvenile nonsense you know okay, what I mean? okay and honestly if truth be told man. You know, like there's some things that I'll say in the company of close friends, or in the in once the tour van door is closed, that I would never say on stage. But you know, it's because As I, most of us have a, a yeah. I don't want to call it a safe space, but <laughs> we have a sanctuary where you know sometimes we're like we're like okay that guy and I, okay mm-hmm. here's the deal. What about this thing? And yeah. they're like, oh yeah 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 it's true. And then but that it stays there. And yeah. anybody that pretends they don't have that. If they don't have that, they don't have good friends. <laughs> Sometimes you make like the most offensive joke to make your friend laugh, and it's because you know that you're you're so close with your friend, you know they they don't think you actually believe. The hilarity that. of it it's is just that you're so that's what makes it funny. That's the yeah. comedy of it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, and you can have that with certain friends, but this is the problem, right? Is that if somebody got a hold of my phone, for instance, yeah. and looked at the text message between my best friend in the entire world, like he and I, we have an understanding. Like I'm so careful because of all this stuff we've been talking about. To, I'm everything I text or send, even Snapchat, anything at all. I'm super mindful of the fact that screenshots are a thing, and and th- you know things can be taken out of context. There's only there's literally only one person that I don't censor myself at all for, and it's my best friend. Yeah. Even I mean. Everybody, I just because if somebody got a hold of my phone out of context, it could out of context, anything. it could it would TMZ make me look like like the worst shit lord. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not. But I'm not. I'm. It's funny yeah, yeah. because I'm not that. I'm the exact opposite of all that. You know, I'm. A, I feel like I'm a pretty decent human being. You know, and I. You know, I'm able to use that as as a comedic tool with my best friend, but only in the context of like the fact that I know that I trust him implicitly that this is a private conversation. And also, he already knows that you're a good exactly. person. He knows me you better than anybody. You don't need to be proving yourself to him exactly. anymore. Vetted. He's, he's already yeah. he's already bought in. He's already so disappointed yeah. in you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, what he, he can't go any lower. Yeah. And he still yeah. accept. He still wants to be in your presence. And yeah, yeah, that's that's better than benefit of the doubt. There is no doubt. There he, is no doubt. Yeah, yeah, he knows that you're not like this. That gives you this freedom. Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't actually be funny. Yeah. If you were actually like that, and then you he'd be like, "Well, man, we wouldn't like, be friends. He wouldn't be friends with a guy like that." Be like this again. Yeah. You in know? fact, yeah. that's some somehow like a trick when you know you've known somebody for a few years and you're still having to like do. A mop up every time you go off the rails a little bit yeah and you're like wait i guess maybe we're not as good as friends as i yeah. really as i thought we were mm-hmm. i shouldn't have to explain this to you yeah. no yeah, exactly i shouldn't be i shouldn't have to wear pants I, this is why is this pants are still a thing yeah. you're not a real friend get out of here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but uh yeah, okay so okay so you, you you'd horse around yeah okay. sure so but you courted controversy what about your lyrics were they ever 
No, my lyrics are pretty non-controversial for the most part. I think that, you know, like I said, I speak about things that I'm passionate about, you know, with this latest project, Cheeto Dust, you know, it's like the comedic rap project. It's rapping about food and things that make me laugh. You know what I mean? It's really just very, very lighthearted. But with the metal, you know, honestly, it's things, you know, relationships and and uh, what things that motivate me. I think I'll sing about things like that. Or, you know, kind of working against, you know, odds towards a common goal with, with people that you care about. That's like a common theme throughout most of my lyrics, you know, because that's what I, the way I've been living. It's like, you know, I'm working with these guys, these band members to like towards a common goal. And, you know, you push aside your differences and you, you make it work. You know, you make sacrifices together to, to, to find some modicum of success in, as a musician, you know. And that camaraderie that stems from that and the, the you know overcoming obstacles and things like that together has been a huge um, inspiration to me as a person and so it comes out in the lyrics too you know it's like a common well, you guys have, you, you guys have lived some shit right done a lot of touring man yeah yeah you've had your gear boosted probably we have yeah. you've gone into uh, accident I'm guessing uh no close a couple times no accidents thank close close. knock on wood yeah knock on wood man yeah because that, no that always that always fucks with me the amount of driving i've done over the years with the guys it's like it's kind of remarkable to me we've never hit an animal we've never been in an accident nothing like that impressive but we've been in fights on the road we've you know we've had our stuff stolen we've you know we've had some hard luck over the years with my old band endost it was it became an ongoing joke we named an album of ours black cloud because it was like having a black cloud over our head the whole time it was just like i've literally seen I, the the concrete split open and a water main break like where our van was parked to keep us from going it's like there was just always I watched the ground split open in front of me <laughs> like the plagues like the, like it was just as we're leaving for tour we just loaded up our gear outside the rehearsal space and the ground split open and to keep us from going himself will be just <laughs> fucking on through yes. just to push you down that's <laughs> that would make were me, you expressing an opinion about Yoko Ono at the time <laughs> that would make me that would make yeah. me question though the supernatural or the 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 divine you know seriously the fucking ground Man, opening it's it was intense and, and that honestly we've had those moments where you're like maybe maybe something some like the universe is trying to tell us something here <laughs> maybe there's a reason we, we're not going and honestly that tour that was the hardest tour Yoko I've ever done too yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that was the, the ground splitting open was years before Yoko yeah. that was like 2006 how long did you guys do end dust like you, you uh, 11 years 11 years yeah. About. yeah okay and I miss it horribly it, we broke up last year and I honestly my life is so different now without it that I don't really even know what to do with myself okay. that was with your other brother too right that was with my younger brother Chris he started yeah. that band okay how yeah. many brothers yeah. do you have two two okay yeah so you started, uh, you did that gig, and then I wait. You, is that how you got recognized at the corner store across yeah. the street? That's from that band. <laughs> yeah, going to buy an energy drink across the street from here, <laughs> the dude at the counter recognized me from Endost. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So then you you formed the uh, Excess Fries pretty quickly after that, didn't you? Yeah, Excess Fries was like my side gig um, uh, that I started, you know, a few years ago. I guess four or five years ago now. So I was still doing Endost at the time. It was just kind of my side thing on, you know. I wanted to work with my buddy Dave. We've been we had toured together with his old band, and you know we had uh, talked about working together for a long time. And he started to send me tunes he'd been writing, and I just started writing lyrics to him. And he's like, "Oh, well, you know, you seem stoked about it. Like, why don't we just record a record? It was just the two of us. And it was a side thing. And then we decided to take it on the road. And the last couple of years with Endos, I was doing like I was basically touring nonstop between Endos and Excess Fries. Like, I'd come home, go to Toronto, do rehearsals with Excess Fries." 
head on the road to the Texas Fries, come home, do rehearsals with Endos, go on the road to Endos. And that was like living the dream at that point. That's like my paradise, you know. And then Endos split up, and now Texas Fries is still going. And we definitely picked up the pace a bit, but not as much as I would like. Definitely not to the degree that Endos is working. Is Endos like a closed door? Like that, yeah, that's, it's that's done. it? It's done? It's finished, yeah. Okay. Which makes me so sad. Yeah, man. You know, that on this day thing on Facebook just reminded me all the time, like, of how much fun I've had over the past, you know, well, my like I said, my entire adult life, really, you know. I've been touring and steady gigging, and even when we weren't touring, it was just always planning the next tour, writing the next album, you know, just always something Endos related. It was all consuming. You must and have, I, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, but I just. I'll say, you must have gotten to meet some, some, some pretty cool people, some, some of your heroes some, and stuff like that. Definitely met some heroes, man. Can you drop and some I met names? Some, oh, yeah. All day long, man. This is my favorite game. Right on. <laughs> Gene Simmons, piece of shit. I figured. Chuck Billy from Testament, raddest dude ever. Really? Oh, my God. That Chuck was Billy. like, a, for me, I mean, I've been listening to Testament for a long time. Yeah. I flew to San Francisco to see uh, to, uh, the Thrash of the Titans, okay. which was a. Um, like a huge Bay Area thrash metal show to help pay Chuck Billy's uh, medical bills because yeah. he had cancer. And, right. You know, I, I went down to that. I saw him sing, like, you know, all chemoed out, no hair, no eyebrows, nothing. He did one song. That's all he had in him. But, I mean, like, I was a huge Testament fan, and then I played at uh, Heavy t- Heavy Toronto. And coming, I was going into catering as Chuck Billy was coming out. And I, I had one of those moments where, like, I've been keeping it together pretty good all day. We were definitely the smallest band on that bill. Uh, and we're surrounded by like celebrities. I got coffee in the morning at catering next to Dave Mustaine, oh, and nice. I and that was cool. But like, it wasn't. It didn't have the same effect on me as Chuck Billy did. Like, I'm a big Chuck Billy fan. And when I, I came up to him and I was like, "Hey, man, like, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna ask for a picture." And I'm he's just like, gonna be that guy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm gonna be that guy. And he was he was with this little entourage of people, and he was like, "Oh, of course." He's like, "Oh, big James from Endos, right?" And my head just like exploded. <laughs> I was like, I've, I've arrived. Like, I've found success. Like, that to me was even better than playing on stage. You know, and him saying like, oh, maybe I'll come check out your band later. I mean, man, that was Chuck so cool, man. And then to look over the side stage halfway through my set and see him on the side of the stage. It's like 15,000 people in front of me, not nervous at all. Chuck Billy oh, sitting on the side stage. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I forgot how to sing. You know, but I mean, it's that kind of stuff. That's like why you do it. You know what I mean? Why you go through all the nonsense that we went through over the years. You know, meeting people like that. I met some really amazing, amazing musicians over the years. You know, like Scott Ian from Anthrax. I mean, the dude's like the nicest dude. Um, Dave Elfson from Megadeth, also super nice. Uh, Des from uh, Cold Chamber and uh, yeah, dude. Our dressing room was right next to theirs, and then uh, we played at the Heavy Toronto and Heavy Montreal with them. Party with those guys. Des, Devil Driver is great. Cool man. Yeah, I always love that guy, and he, he just does not give a fuck. Yeah, he, he has like total devotion. You know? Totally. Yeah, he, he's living it, man. Yeah, I was into him guy. even back in the uh, silly Cold Chamber days. Like I was in, into his shit from the beginning, and it's yeah. like it's never changed. Oh, so for that's, sure. That's really cool, man. That's fucking cool. Yeah, I've, I've been really fortunate over the years. And Gene Simmons refused to shake my little brother's hand. That was the story there. Uh-huh. Yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. But his crew, we played that show. We were, like, opening this giant festival, Heavy Montreal. You know, we're the only unsigned act on the whole thing. Like, especially main stage. We did main stage at, like, Toronto first and then Montreal. And I felt pretty proud of the fact that we were the only unsigned band on main stage for both of those festivals. And I felt, you know, I was like, this is, you know, source of pride for me. But we got dicked around a bit in Montreal. And we showed up and, you know, here's your trailer, your dressing room. But none of our rider, like our drinks, our water, our towels, all that stuff was not in there. And uh, 
you know, we came out of the trailer kind of like upset, like, man, you know, like, it's like we, we never get those things. And the one time we're supposed to get them, we didn't get them. This is towels, man. And I, but that's towels. it. And I was upset. I was like, you know, this, this fucking sucks. And this dude overheard us talking about it. And he's like, oh, you guys didn't get your stuff? And we're like, no. He's like, which trailer is yours? I was like, it's that one. He's like, come back in half an hour. And came back and there's cases of beer and booze and stuff. And we found out that dude was on the Kiss road crew. And he was just, they had extra stuff that they didn't need. Oh, and they were nice. like, they gave us, out of out of Kiss's rider, they gave us stuff to, to fill our trailer. I mean, uh, that's like, that that's, a, that's, that's a salty road dog that knows. He, yeah, he knew yeah. what was up, you know? Yeah, yeah. He knew. He's like, oh, man, we've been there, man. We know what it's like to not get your stuff from your rider. Like, here you go, man. You're going to be here all day in the sun, no, no bottles of water? Here you go. You know? What a fascinating fucking thing, man. I've, I've always envied uh, these guys that used to go out with the bands and film all that stuff. Yep. That's one thing I always wanted to, to do, just go out on the road and just come back with some it is, stories it is the best experience you'll ever have man traveling especially canada such a beautiful country man and a lot of people you know they'll travel abroad they'll go backpacking across europe but they never even think to travel their own country yeah canada is uh, a remarkable yeah. country and and one of my favorite parts about touring all these years is is watching canada develop because i go out every few months right coast to coast and where i used to i'm hoping to again i mean now that endos is done i don't tour as much as i'd like but with endos it was like every three four months we're back out on the road and you know, going coast to coast and watching towns develop, you know, and you get to see like these little snapshots. You're in town for a day. So I'm in Thunder Bay, Ontario for a day. And then I'm in town, Thunder Bay, Ontario, like six months later for a day. And then another six months later, and doing that for 12 years, you really get to see the whole nation like develop. And we're playing small places like Dalhousie, New Brunswick and, you know, Campbellton, Sugarloaf, Sugarloaf, Sheila. But I mean, it's that kind of stuff. Like, it's really given me a unique perspective that not a lot of people get that perspective. I've gotten to see our country grow. And in, and I mean, Thunder, I use Thunder Bay as the example all the time because that's a city that's changed drastically. I mean, 10 years ago, it was not the same place. You know, a lot of the younger people that were coming out to our shows are old enough now to be opening businesses and they're doing really cool things. And, you know, it's a thriving community now that's, it's got a lot to offer. And well, Mr. Big James, uh, I have a lot of questions to ask you about oh, sure. uh, Endost and uh, the road and Canada, but we're going to take a little break right now, and uh, when we come back, we're going to get to all those questions. See you on Fire on the Hole with Danny Lajoie and friends. Pierre B. asks, should toilet paper be pulled from the top of the roll or the bottom? Only terrorists pull toilet paper from the bottom of the roll. Don't be a terrorist, Pierre. Don't do it. All right, we're back. Now, Jason, uh, you've been a host of this podcast uh, sometimes while I was uh, away. How's that been for you? I've been allowed near the microphone once or twice, and uh, may I say every time, uh, it's been both a frightening uh, experience, knowing how big the shoes were, and that I could only begin to look at the shoes, not even maybe approach the shoes, stand next to the shoes, take some pictures with the shoes, but never actually put my feet in the more even attempt to fill them right uh that's as best as i could describe the how was it with for you richard i was just keeping the seat warm yeah just waiting for your return yeah right keeping that fire going. so happy to have you back yeah i'm happy to happy to have you guys it, back it's really keeping the yeah. fire burning episode so four speak. episode four of fire in the hole with danny lajwa and his <laughs> friends <laughs> and co <laughs> and friends and friends so apart from the metal stuff, mm-hmm. there's the the morning show, the Big James Morning Show. Yeah, tell us about the show. How did how did this happen? Well, a few years back, I was I was working. I've worked nights most of my adult life, 
or most of my my working life from 16 onwards was basically working nights. And uh, so I'm usually up early in the morning when everybody else is getting up. I'm usually just winding down my day, and I like to post on Facebook, you know, my, you know, just hijinks from my travels home on public transit and anything that I thought was funny or interesting. And uh, people seem to really like those morning posts. And so somebody, I don't, I honestly don't remember who it was, but somebody commented on one of my Facebook posts that I should should have my own morning show. And I was like, well, maybe I'll, you know. Specifically morning show. Specifically morning show, you know. And, and I was like, That's, that sounds like a pretty neat idea. Maybe I could start, like, I'd been toying with the idea of starting a YouTube channel for a while because I'm a windbag and I love the sound of my own voice and, you know, I, I crave attention. You're <laughs> in the right place. You're in the right place. I'm wildly insecure. Yeah. So I was like, well, this could be an outlet for me to, get some more attention and you know have a bit of a soapbox and so i i did some crowdfunding some very willy-nilly crowdfunding on facebook and got some got a little camera a canon t3i camera and oh, yeah. a road video mic and <laughs> a 30 dollar tripod and started recording the morning show the essentials um honestly shout outs to jenny z she knows who she is she donated huge in a huge way the initial uh donation to get me that camera, she essentially paid for that camera for me. Wow! And I have her name tattooed to my ass as a result. That was oh, the crowdfunding. Wow. Perk. That was that was the perk. Yeah, I didn't without expecting anybody to actually donate that much that money. That is next level. It was thirty minutes into this crowdfunding campaign, she donated the money, and I was like, "Well, I have to get your name tattooed to my ass." And she's like, "No, you don't." I'm like, no, I do. Man of my word. Wow. So her name is on my ass to this day. <laughs> was it your brother that tattooed it on there? No, it was no. a friend of mine. My friend Melissa. Sean wants nothing to do with my okay. rent, Yeah, Melissa, uh, who works with your brother, right? Yeah, they're yeah. partners. Yeah, they yeah. opened a shop together along with a couple other people. And yeah. Yeah, they're doing quite well. They're in Toronto today at uh, the Knicks Northern Ink Exposure Tattoo Festival. They're pretty incredible. I, I see the stuff that they they're do. They're pretty good, man. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty fortunate to have... You know, friends and family that tattoo because I'm covered in tattoos and yeah. it would be very expensive. But luckily, it's not very expensive for me to get tattooed. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, how many episodes are you in? Of the morning show? Yeah. Well, I had stopped for a while because it's very time consuming. Um, and I just started it up again. But I've got about 115 episodes. All wow. Time. Yeah. Do you edit it yourself? Yeah, or? I shoot. I, sh- I do everything entirely by myself. I've had help shooting. I think two episodes just because I needed a camera. Like I needed my hands to do what I was doing, um, and I wasn't able to just shoot myself. Um, but it, the vast majority are all shot and edited by me. Poorly. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, honestly, I'm pretty uh, willy nilly about the editing too. With this, like, it's just quick. I try to be quick about it and. You know, I'm not trying to be smooth with my cuts. You know, it's pretty Dave good though. From uh, it's Dave, your partner from uh, Access for Eyes, who did the the, the theme music, song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Which is man, it's a bit of an earworm. You know, it's people really like the theme song, and yeah, it, honestly, that's the, the there's a story behind that theme song because the, he wrote a different theme song originally that YouTube had, a, I guess, like an automated system that if you're using copyrighted material, ID like tags, it, yeah, yeah, it picks it up or whatever, but. If for whatever reason this morning show theme that he'd wrote was like pinging on that system and it was not like it was a completely original song but it was for whatever reason it was they're telling me that it was a copyrighted material and I was like well no it's not and I appealed and it was becoming a hassle and I, and I couldn't get them to approve my music so I was like man I, I hate to do this to you but would you come up with another theme song and what he came up with was a much better theme song <laughs> that stuck and people really seemed to like so it's very just lighthearted and 
Yeah, is there yeah. a format for the show, or do you? you do Not you, really. You <laughs> like I said, it's pretty willy nilly. But you know, it's uh, I just you know, like like any morning show you would see on TV. I you know, there's cooking segments, there's musical guests. You know, there's it, we try to keep it lighthearted. Right I used here. to do opinion pieces, but we've already covered that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't do opinion pieces so much you anymore. Got, you got some heat for that too. Oh man, many times. Really? Yeah. Like just like a little. Uh, Kind of Rick Mercer type situation where you you would rant. Yeah, on just like I'll speak about something like I spoke about nine eleven once, and people were talking about getting over. It. You know, it was like the anniversary of nine eleven. Everybody's like, "Get over it, get over it, you fucking dummies!" Like, this is a yeah. huge catastrophic historical event. Yeah. Like, it needs to be recognized when it rolls around every year. You know what I mean? Like, I get why people recognize it. You know, and, and anyway, but that got me in trouble at the end of it because I was like, well, no, like maybe we need to observe this as like a, a, a day of remembrance, you know, fuck you, big James, you know, like, come on. No, no, man. But so I try to avoid that now. I try to keep it pretty lighthearted, you know. Some part of me is really annoyed by the fact that someone like you, who probably doesn't, like I probably wouldn't agree with all the time, but that somebody that's just interested in voicing opinions and mm-hmm. talking about the things that he, he thinks about. That 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 they 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 put that much pressure on you that you walked away like that fucks with me on some level because I feel like people like you need to keep sort of something going like I well, feel I like appreciate that I, for me it's just I, I don't, don't want to no not time. at all I mean uh, at the end of the day it comes down to like if it's fun for me or not outrage is not a form of entertainment for me I I, I don't find it fun you know I believe it's necessary to have these important discussions and there's a time and a place for that but I feel like I want to enter my goal my end goal is to entertain people. And I don't want to. I don't want to do that in a negative way. I want to keep everything very positive. I want to be. A, I want to be a positive force in people's lives. And I want when my face pops up on their newsfeed, I want them to click on it because it's like they have a, a positive association to my face. You know. So I think if you know in doing that, like if, if it means like making cheesecake on the morning show instead of talking about nine eleven, then we'll do that. You know what I mean? I I I'd just much rather have fun. Getting you know? your back waxed. Uh, yeah, yeah, get my back waxed. <laughs> Still. Missing a patch of hair on my back. It hasn't oh, yeah. grown back at all. <laughs> how how painful weeks. was it? It was really painful, yeah. especially because we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, my my roommate waxed my a portion of my back for the morning show, and it was just so painful. Live, like during the show. Or? Oh yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. Right yeah. It's up there. <laughs> I, I, seen, I got a. I don't know if that was the most recent episode. But uh, no, that was the first episode back after oh, after okay. like a, a hiatus of several months. I had taken time off because honestly, it's one of the biggest problems I face. Is you know, I don't work like a regular job you know I do I have a variety of side hustles you know mm-hmm. what I mean that I that culminate to pay the bills and but I'm broke you know what I mean like most creative people I'm not I'm not exactly rolling in it and I'm You're that not kind profit of driven so I'm not definitely not profit driven and uh, there comes times in your life when you live a life like that where like you got to put aside your creative stuff and hustle and make some more money you know what I mean and it's been like that where you kind of hit that where like how, how, can I, how can I even think about recording myself being happy when I'm stressed about paying my rent you know what I mean so you got to try to push that aside to like make yourself happy for a camera and when you're doing it all yourself and you don't have anybody to like be like oh man we have a production schedule to keep it's just me you know and there, so things like the morning show get pushed to the side when I get broke <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so I, it, I think like the the, the controversy that you've uh, run into and I mean I don't want to downplay how harrowing of an experience that could be to have like this this mom going after you just for mm-hmm. speaking your mind but I would like to counter maybe by saying that if if that's happening 
then it's because you've reached a certain level of an audience. Like you have, you have a certain uh, amount of clout mm-hmm. to. Because if if you weren't reaching anybody, you wouldn't get any of that. No, it's, it's a sign of your success that people are being offended by what you're saying. And being like a metal guy and being like the guy that you are, you are very opinionated. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that coming to, to, to terms with the fact that if you speak your mind, you're going to have a certain subsection of the population that is going to go after you, going to use you as their soapbox. They're going to, to try and attack you to make themselves. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, to try and siphon a little bit of attention off of you because they see that you have some attention. Sure, it's a, yeah. It's a compliment that they would take some time to bully, it is. To bully you into silence. It's definitely one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it really is. Like, that's, yeah. that's where that's coming from. Is like, because if you're just some asshole... With three friends on Facebook, who has who's, a podcast in their dining room, it was a, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like touche, <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> but like, but nobody, no matter how offensive the shit that they say, whatever they can say, the most horrendous shit. If they don't have much of an audience, nobody's really going to get that offended because it's like, eh, whatever, no one's listening to them. Yeah, the fact that you have people getting outraged about you just speaking your mind mm-hmm. I think that you should maybe take that as a as a sign of, of a certain amount of success you know yeah oh I have enough and, and I do I'm, yeah. I'm happy that you know that people are paying attention to what I'm doing like I said before we even started today like it blows my mind that anybody comes to see me play or wants to listen to what I have to do or buys my merch you know like the support is is kind of overwhelming and, and mind-blowing especially when things get rough like you know, like having your gear stolen on tour, and like man, we had some guitars stolen out in BC, and our van had broken down. And the reason the guitars got stolen is because our trailer was sitting in a hotel parking lot while we were waiting for our van to be repaired. And you know, having um, that pisses me off. So oh, it drives me bonkers, man. We were losing gigs, we were losing revenue from gigs we were missing, and and then on top of that, we had these guitars stolen, and it was like a crippling blow to our tour. We had to. We still wait around for our van to get repaired. We're hemorrhaging money in this hotel. We can't bring in any money because we're not able to work. And honestly, when the guitars got stolen, we posted online about it. And the response was so overwhelmingly positive. Like, all across North America, people came together. I mean, especially in Canada because we've done a lot of touring in Canada and not as much in the States. We have toured the States, but we have, you know, at the time we had quite a, a decent following in Canada and a massive amount of support. And I mean, we got our guitars back. The, the actual guitars. The actual guitars. Wow. Before the end of the tour, we got word that the guitars were found because the word was put out in such a huge way that these guitars were missing. And one of them was a was a prototype, you know, the, from the Godin guitars had made uh, for us. You know, I mean, that was it was a irreplaceable guitar with no serial number on it. I mean, so it was a, it's, it stands out. You can't pawn a guitar like that, you know. Especially when it's all over the news. The TV station came out to the hotel to interview us. Tourism Kamloops took us out for lunch. I mean, like, people were sending us money, like, from all across the country, all across Canada and the States. People were sending us money to help us pay for our van repairs, for our hotel bills. People were sending food to our hotel room. Honestly, yeah, like... That's incredible. The, that's the other side of that, you know, is is that, yes, you know, it sucks that, you know, that I'm terrified of the, the internet swarm coming down and crushing me like the ant that I am. But the other side of that is that I have this amazing, wonderful network of really amazing, positive, beautiful people that are willing to come together and help a loser like me for going. 
I nobody put a gun to my head, told me to go on tour and do these things and buy a shitty van that was going to break down. I mean, these are I, I hold myself accountable for every bad thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, and people could easily just be like, "Yeah, could, you fucking yeah, made you know your bed. You, you, you made your bed. Exactly. Yeah. That's the point I'm trying to make. And but they don't. They're and it's not the first time that's happened. I've been on the receiving end of more kindness than negativity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, that's why I genuinely do believe that the world is a good place. You know. But I I, I think that I mean, and and it, I I know where you're coming from as far as the social media can be. It can be so toxic, and it can be like you know, like you're describing that moment of like going to bed and you're like fuck like it's 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 on your mind mm-hmm. you know um you know it's 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 a scary place to be but i i also think that um it would be a shame for you to not be as outs- out- outspoken as you are you mm-hmm. do have that platform you do have these you have the ear of a lot of people mm-hmm. you know a lot of good people and you and it could be very easy to just be like, fuck it, I'm just going to put a cheesecake recipes, yeah. you know, and keep it light all the time. Yeah. But I don't, I think it would be a shame for you to to not fucking speak out sometimes when it's something Well, that's that, is, like, I, and I do, like, I, I will speak out here and there, but never under the under the platform of the morning show or under yeah. the band. I'll do it with things like this where I'm, I'm here as Big James, you know, everybody, you know, listening to this probably knows who I am. Because you found a link on my Facebook or my Twitter or something, right. you know, and I'll speak my mind here, like I have been so far tonight. But I'm not, I'm not going to use those other platforms, like to, to do that. I want those to be very positive and uplifting. And like I said, I want people to associate my face to positive things. I'm not here to argue with people. I want to be a positive force in this world. And I try to, you know, live my life that way. The people that I meet, you know, like that guy at the convenience store that recognized me, you know, hug it out with that guy, you know, like. Like, I don't know who he is, really. I, we, you know, but I give him a hug. Like, and he'll go home and I'd be like, oh, I ran into Big James from Endos and he gave me a hug at this store. But, you know, like, he didn't have another customer like me today. And I, and I, wanted, I want to be that guy. I want to be the, the best part of everybody's day. When you, come, when you come into contact with me, I want you to walk away feeling like, man, that was a positive experience. That's what I want. That said, I'm very passionate and opinionated. And, I, you know, if something is important to me, I'm going to speak up about it. But probably not. Under under the mor- the the flag of the morning show or my bands or anything like that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense for sure. Like that gorilla last week, man. <laughs> like everybody's like a gorilla. That kid fell into that gorilla pen. Right. Oh, and every yeah. so everybody's like a gorilla. They're all zoologists and that, right and yeah. parenting experts. You know, it's like yeah. Now it's the the crocodile. You the, the, that's old news now. Oh, there's a crocodile. There's a crocodile now. Yeah. Did a crocodile, crocodile get shot at a Disney resort. A crocodile took off with a two year old, and uh, they found it later drowned. He didn't have time to eat it. Uh, and uh, so now that's wait. The two-year-old is drowned. Was drowned. Yeah, it no, got the crocodile. Beat. The crocodile. The two-year-old didn't win that fight. Yeah, the two-year-old is a bad guy. It got the baby. <laughs> took it away. But it was <laughs> the two-year-old didn't have time to eat that, uh, that crocodile. So it was really weird because the response was from the from the resort was they let they gave everyone free stay, which was really weird because I was like. That's kind of the wrong message. You're like, no, stay, stay, because the crocodile's still hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I might want, I might want some, oh, some dessert. But uh, so immediately, Free up and close and personal like uh, experiences with the crocodile. With the crocodile, yeah. And um, the thing is, we live in a world where like you know, like animals are created. Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, 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 no you didn't interrupt here. me. No, no, no. But like, everybody thinks animals are cute, but they're monsters. Animals are monsters that live among us. 
Like, people are like, oh, feed the bear at the junkyard. I'm like, no, that bear will eat you because yeah. it is a monster. You can't tell your children that monsters don't exist because they do and they live among us. It, it, How many videos have they had of, like, the kid on the other side of the glass and there's a lion on the other side trying to eat yeah. them? And everyone's like, ah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so cute. The, the bear is not a monster. We're the monsters. We've, re- we've completely removed ourselves from the chain. And, but, oh, yeah. And, but, like, it's almost like uh, we, we left the planet, came back, and then their their world starts five yards away from our world which is completely fab like oh yeah and there's and you know there's overlap you know like my friend mark howitt shout out to mark howitt in sudbury he's like the raddest dude ever and he he man he posted a video of a huge bear just going through his neighbor's garbage because his neighbor didn't dispose of his garbage properly yeah, that's like a tuesday but he and then he had claw marks on the back door of his house yeah. like there was a monster trying to get into his house yeah. And, and we think of our how our homes is like not nature, but we're in the middle of this like along with all these animals. You got to cohabitate sometimes, especially in Canada, in northern Canada. It's like, and you're cohabitating, and you got you're gonna come out of Walmart and run into a bear. <laughs> you got to figure you that. You know, like that's they, could a thing. Let, they should let a few bears into the WalMarts, especially in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, this clean the gene pool a little bit, but uh, yeah, and it's scary. But the thing is, everybody's like, oh, teddy bears, and you know, like well, that's the Lion whole, King. It's that's like our whole North American, or like that uh, whole thing about uh, going back to the gorilla, where like so many people were talking, saying that the gorilla was protecting the child that was in there. No man, the, that he was dragging him through the water. That's and even how they, even like, if he was handling that child like he would handle a gorilla baby, a human baby cannot handle the same yeah. kind of stress that like a gorilla baby can. Gorilla babies are strong as fuck. I don't know if you've ever encountered a chimpanzee or a primate of any kind, but they are super strong. Yeah, they are very strong, man. And they bite. Man, animals are scary. Terrifying. <laughs> Have you been bitten by a chimpanzee? And but then I it becomes, don't want to say yes. <laughs> then it becomes this whole thing no. where they're like, they're like, uh, what? What should you know? Who should be preserved there? Like, if the child had died, then you know everybody yeah, would, would be, be like, idea, yeah. you should have fucking killed the gorilla, mm-hmm. right? But because they actually did that and the child lived, then the tragedy that the, the this the, is i mean we've been talking about this all the whole time so far but there's just no satisfying all of the public yeah exactly there's no mm-hmm. satisfying public public opinion will never be everybody there's never going to be a situation where everybody's like you know what you guys handled this right yeah let's but all I, I agree no, but hang on by, uh, like, I, think, hands, <laughs> like. I think the party i think the problem goes deeper than that it's not that you can't satisfy everybody is that mm-hmm. the core group of screamers will will jump on the opposite side of whatever yeah. you're doing yeah right it's not that you can't you you tried and you couldn't satisfy them. Mm-hmm. They're like you could present the most sensible argument. They all just quickly hop over the other side. They're so in the they business can, of dissent. They're in the business of dissent. Thank you. That's where we'll Ooh, put. Ooh, yeah. That, that should be the name of this episode. It's the next the album. Business of dissent. The next album is called. This next one's called <laughs> the business of dissent. <laughs> um, immediately, immediately after the uh, crocodile incident, uh, Imager or Imager was like right there because that that's Imigure. The, Imigure <laughs> is the pulse of the is the pulse of the internet. Yeah. Immediately, there was somebody rustled up an old picture of like a cartoon bear and a crocodile from an old like maybe even pre Hanna Barbera mm-hmm. uh, animation, and the bear's like uh, sorry, it's a, it's a gorilla. Uh, in an overalls and like an, a crocodile with a, with a little hat and like a little tie. This is the, the cutification of monsters, that's what that is. But and the and the and the, and the gorilla's <laughs> like, yeah. hey, the gorilla's like, uh, hey, if ever, uh, what is it? If I ever get killed over like a kid, you 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 know, you, you're gonna get revenge for me. And the crocodile's like, I got you, fam. 
I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Like immediately, immediately it popped up on the internet, you know? Fuck. But no, I mean, at this point, it's just uh, pick, uh, choose your own outrage adventure uh, every day, every day, every single day. Okay, I want to ask you a question. All right, lay it on me. Mr. Big James, you're in a you're in a jam situation. Okay, mm-hmm. you got your you got your dudes. They have written a riff. They they bust in the jam. They're like, okay, it's time for you to sing. Like you, you do your thing. Yeah. Uh, what is actually coming out of your mouth as far as lyrics that first time? Like, is it are you, are you singing actual lyrics at that point or um, is it often just like well, gibberish turning into lyrics slowly here's the thing is it sometimes it'll be um, like you'll come up with like a vocal pattern or melody that's just gibberish right right is how I used to do it a lot of time with Endos where it'd be like okay we're jamming it out like the structure of the song is loosely written we like I know the basic riffs you know what I mean I'll, I'll jump in and I'll just you know, I'm, some words might come to my mind that whatever's inspired me at that particular moment you know might come out but the way I used to do it with Endos is I'd make them just cycle riffs. Like, play that riff for 10 minutes. Yeah. And I would just sit there with my notepad and, like, I knew basically, okay, like, this is the pattern I want to sing because I sang it in gibberish. Yeah. Now, this is, so, this is how many syllables I can fit into that line, that part of that song. Now, what words can I write that match that amount of syllables? Yeah. You know what I mean? Is how I would, the approach I would take. And, I mean, honestly, it's not that different now with X's for Eyes except that Dave will send me a, a full song that's written. He has a studio, a home studio. So he'll he'll be able to write a full song and send me the song and I'll send him my notes and we'll go back and forth like that. But then I'm able to sit there with my headphones in and scroll back instead of making him play the song physically play the song for me over and over again or cycle riffs. I'm able to just go back and scroll back with the you know uh, with my iTunes and like listen to right. it over and over again. You know, just put it on repeat and then I'll be able to write lyrics on my own in my bedroom. You know, right. But with Endos, it was very much a okay, this is the structure, this is the, you know, uh, like, how, how many syllables I can I fit here? Okay, do that so I can write the words out and then try to make some words that make sense fitting the, that amount of syllables. Right. You know? Did you, always, did you always have the ability to growl, like, naturally? Like, from the get-go? Did you mm-hmm. have to develop it? No. And honestly, I thought it was just, you know, you think going into it that you're just going to yell into a microphone and then you realize that there's a lot more going on than that and you have to condition your voice and you have to get, you know... You have to. There has to be some technique involved, otherwise it sounds like you're just yelling into a microphone, and nobody wants to hear that. So, I mean, there definitely has been, you know, uh, a learning curve. How, Even where, now, where I still you, feel like I'm better. I'm a better singer now than I was a year ago. Where, for sure. did, where, where did you learn it? Like uh, just by listening to other self-taught. guys. Self-taught. Like every man, everything I've done as, as far as music goes is 100% self-taught, from the creative end to the business end. Like nobody taught me how to do anything. You know, we Have you ever had a, a vocal coach at all that was worth anything to you? No, no, no me neither. Fuck. I man, I watched a lot of those Melissa Cross DVDs, like you know, w- when they came out because she's a, a vocal coach that works yeah, a lot of. She worked with metal, Randy Blythe and those. Yeah, those guys. tons of those guys, and uh-huh. you know, I, I met a lot of those guys. You know, like Randy Blythe sings her fucking praises. Tommy Vex sings her praises. These are great singers that you know I look up to. That you know they're doing great stuff, but I just, I don't know, man. I just can't do it. You know, I had to learn the hard way how to not lose my voice on tour. That was a big one. I lost my voice really bad on tour a few times and had to miss a couple of gigs because of it. Like, guys played shows without me, without a singer, which is like, as a singer, that's your worst nightmare, you know? You're letting down the fans, you're letting down your band, you're letting down everybody, but you just can't. You just can't sing, you know? 
So now it's like... Do you have some uh, pieces of advice that you could give to uh, aspiring growler singers out there that are that are thinking about going on tour? Like, how to yeah. do it properly? Yeah, if you're... Man, there's a few things you need to do. If, if you're, you're on, in the business of descent. If you're in the business of descent. <laughs> business of descent. Business of descent. voices are all better than mine. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for me, at this point, I have like a ritual on tour. You know, when I'm on tour now, I can't... Like, I can't excessively drink. If I do, it drives me out. Um, I mean, which doesn't necessarily always stop me, but regardless of whether I drink or not, but especially if I drink... Like, limit five, the alcohol. Five liters of water Okay. The leading up to the drinking, and then five liters of water, like, after the drinking. Wow. So, like, I'll drink... It's a massive amount of water, and you will piss like crazy. You got used to pissing in bottles in the van because you don't want to make the van stop every two minutes so you right. can piss. You know, on tour, the rule goes, like, the strongest bladder dictates when to be stopped, not the weakest, you know? But, because you're just trying to keep a schedule. But, yeah, five liters of water a day, minimum, and that's on it, and not talking during the day. That's the other big one. You like I've literally during the day? Very rarely. Especially if I'm feeling my voice strain, I'll, I'll literally write notes. Like, I'll if we go into a Tim Hortons, I'll write what I might order on my cell phone and show it to the cashier. Really? Is I just... I need to protect my voice. And the only way to get your voice back if you're losing it is to shut up and drink water. It's the only way. People are like, tea and honey. And I'm like, I've literally chugged honey like out of the bottle like all day and just put me in a diabetic shock. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't help. Like, the only thing that works well for me is five liters of water and limiting my alcohol consumption and then not talking. Because, I mean, the biggest thing, too, is, you know, when you're – Especially at our level, where I don't have a backstage to hide in. You know, there's no green room in a lot of the venues we're playing. So you and I'm selling the merch a lot of the times too. So you have to interact with people, and people come because they they know that you make yourself available to them. It's like a big part of the draw is like, oh, I want to go hang out with Big James. I want to hang out with the band. So I make myself available. But now you're talking over loud music all night. You know, the the opening bands you're talking over over their loud over their loud music, oh, and yeah. you, that's where your voice starts to go. It's not even necessarily the singing. It's the talking over the loud music, and I hate hiding in the van, or if there is a backstage, hiding backstage. I hate that. I don't like doing it, but I'll do it if I absolutely have to, you know? Yeah. But the water is the biggest one, man. you got to hydrate. So at, after, you sh- after your show, like, uh, you've gotten off stage, and then, I mean, for me, I, I don't do heavy stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to do some heavy stuff, sure, and it yeah. was, like, it was, you know... Oftentimes for me, when I was going, every show would be like, I'm going through all these really difficult emotions where I was, was writing these very like dark songs. And, and so going through all of those little emotions, uh, reliving all the, uh, all the things that led me to write those songs, mm-hmm. I come off stage and I'm like, I need a walk. Like, I can't fucking talk to anybody right now yeah. because it's like you go through like this emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. every. Everything. I did a whole morning show about that exact topic because there yeah. was one tour where there was a song on that uh, on that album that we were touring to promote and that I was it was really hard for me to sing man just like reliving that every night like the you know the, just the the place where those lyrics came from yeah it's like you can't it's like you know Tony Robbins that uh, motivational speaker yeah oh yeah which he doesn't really like that title from what I understand but I mean that's basically what he is he motivates people Tony but Robbins, he talks hungry. all the time about how you're your physical state will change your emotional state. Right. So, you know, he's like, even if you don't feel like it, smile, stand up straight, you know, like, right. like just those things. But like the same will work negative uh, in a negative capacity as well. Or if I'm reliving these negative emotions and I'm physically saying those words 
in a very aggressive way. So you feel like horseshit afterwards. You're like, man, that's, I yeah. feel like I did when I wrote that song. And yeah. it would get to the point where I'm like choking up with tears, like, you know, and it sounds like, you know, super emo to say, but it's, you can't, your body physically can't not relive those emotions when you sing those words, right. you know? And as a singer in a metal band, you can't, you can't phone it in. You right. can't be like, I feel real strongly about no. You you have to give her, and people and be, otherwise people know. Yeah, you know you sound like you're phoning it in if you're phoning if you're supposed to be doing this very intense, aggressive delivery. You can't phone that in. You right. have to give it everything every night. You know. So do you have a post show uh, ritual? Like, can you can you uh, I mean can, can you get off stage and talk to people right away? Yeah, or I mean I've can? gotten good at that. Yeah. you just have to. You have to try just to separate. To and just try to be nice people. And honestly, it's like I said, a big part of the shows when we go on tour. I think I think a big part of the show is not even just us on stage. It's just us interacting with people, you yeah. know, after before and after we play as well. That's it, part of the show. You gotten used to it though. Like you you can switch it back on to like social yeah. social mode. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are nights where it's hard. You know, my brother, my older brother Sean, was in Paris during the Paris attacks. Like three blocks, he was playing a show three blocks from where from the Bataclan where all that stuff went down and I was on tour at the time like and I was looking at my phone we were stuck in traffic on the 401 in Ontario and uh, we got word that this stuff was popping off in Paris and I was like fuck my brother's in Paris mm-hmm. and when they said it was at the Bataclan I'm like fuck I know for a fact that the venue he's playing at is like three blocks from there and then I was trying to get a hold of him was like really difficult and then there was a window of time where we weren't able to reach him, and you panic. You know, it's you're. I'm really, really close with my brothers. We, you know, at any given moment, you know, we're touring in different parts of the world, and it's, you know, you, we try to stay, you know, in touch as much as we can. But when something like that happens and you can't reach your loved ones, man, you start to panic. And then I had to show a show. It's like packed. You know, we're playing this packed show, and people are expecting that version of me. That's like, you know, welcoming and like, yeah, the welcome to my event, like. Like I was talking about me being the, the host of these things, you know, like people come because they want, you know, they want to chat with you. And that was a night where I'm like, I hid in the green room and I, and I just made myself very unavailable while trying to reach my brother and my family and, right. you know, and it's, it's, it's hard. And then I had to get on stage not knowing if my brother was okay. And that's really difficult. You know what I mean? When you're, you have to put on the show and you're, man. And then afterwards talking to people like that was a night where it was really like, I just couldn't shut it off. I was like, I'm not myself tonight I just can't be you when know? did you finally reach your brother he did finally get in touch with us like they found um, Wi-Fi in, uh, in the room they're staying in they're hiding in a room upstairs from the venue they were playing at and uh, trying to ascertain what the best course of action would be you know and for me being somebody that's you know I've worked security for a long time and I've got a wide you know variety of friends I've got some friends who work in military and law enforcement who I got in touch with and, you know, some uh, military contractor guys who were like, you know, they have, they had good advice to offer, you know, what my brother should do in a situation like that and, and people that they could speak to uh, directly, like phone lines to the embassy in, in Paris, you know. Like I was fortunate to have friends who were able to, you know, I was able to relay valuable information to my brother when we finally did get a hold of him. And luckily they did get out and, you know, and to give you an idea what that night was like for them, when they were finally, they got the green light from the promoter that they were working with. Okay, things are quieted down enough that you guys should get the fuck out of the city. They're driving out of town and they expected to encounter roadblocks and things like that. No roadblocks, but hundreds and hundreds of ambulances 
going the other way, like into the city while they were trying to drive out, like that, you know, what that yeah. was how his night went. Like you'll never see that in you'll, your life again. That's it. It's, it's like some event. Walking Dead shit. Yeah. 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 I was I was re- recently listening to a podcast and they were talking about some some uh, insight they had gotten from from some uh, first responders. Mm-hmm. I think it was from the the Orlando shooting and uh you know one of the things that you don't because we it is it is fucked up how we just do keep we hear about these things and we do move on and to a point where like now it almost feels like if you bring it up everybody's kind of like hey man (laughs) we've all moved on from this shit almost like the Mm -hmm. you know if you bring up cecil the lion at this point it's like (laughs) it's like last week's news yeah last week's news but this was a horrifying thing that happened yeah you know, like, and 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 to drive that home. I I know this is super dark, but like, uh, one of the things they were talking about is that on the scene, what you don't realize is like there's just like cell phones going off, just cell phones, cell phones, cell phones of all the people lying there. Yeah, uh, dead. That like their friends are all trying, friends and family mm-hmm. are all trying to contact them. And just like their cell phones going off and mm-hmm. going off until the cell phones die, you know, and it's just like people just trying to see if they're okay and they're the ones that are not okay. Yeah. It's just like a cacophony of fucking cell phone ringtones, you know, and that then you is realize. A dark thought, man. It's so dark. There's just, I'm sorry so, to bring it my, there, but like, fuck. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. things like that people don't think about that are yeah. like, this is the ugly truth of like, you know, situations like that. It's like, yeah. talking about, um, you know, prayers. You know, being you know Muslim prayers being found on black boxes of flights that have gone down. You know what I mean? Right, like, that's, yeah. like these guys just like screaming these. Sorry to hit the microphone. These guys just screaming these prayers. You know, like before things are going down. Yeah, it's like that is a terrifying thought. To like, imagine being the guy who has to listen to that black box recording, the first right. guy to listen to that. How right. terrifying that would be. Yeah, fucking pass on it that. Happened to Rihanna during a show. I don't know if you saw this footage. No, I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> not that I listened to Rihanna, but somebody showed me this video. You don't, you don't have to give the disclaimer that you don't listen to your <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just don't. There's don't no judgment judge here. Me. This is a safe place. Yeah. This is about me. I'm judging myself. All right. So, You're welcome on Danny's show anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Quick while he's in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, so it's like your standard shitty fan vertical iPhone video yeah. footage of some show. And you see Rihanna kind of doing one of her slower songs, I guess. And she's kind of in down to a squad, and she's, she's doing all that stuff, and then everyone's kind of singing along, and then she just puts out the mic, you know, to one of the fans so he can, you know, hit the chorus or whatever, mm-hmm. and <laughs> oh, like, that is force. amazing, and you just see her face, you just see her eyes, like, <laughs> <laughs> she just goes oh, right back into like it didn't happen, and, yeah, and there's like mixture of laughter and ab- abject terror as as like. <laughs> Man, and I need to see that video. It's unclear by the voice of the guy. It's all, you're not clear if he's like, "My God, Rihanna is so fucking good yeah. that this is like godly and praise, yeah. praise be unto Allah yeah. for giving us this music." Or, uh, oh, what Rihanna, you super famous person? All right, well, let me let me uh, let me send uh, send, yeah. send a message your way just now. No, but kidding. it's it's a it's a piece of uh, hilarity that that I think uh, just 
yeah it's it's uh, i'm gonna watch that it's tonight. hard to top it's hard to top <laughs> but thanks for uh once again haunting uh so sorry my dreams yeah, with your so visions the nightmare visions of of uh cell phones ringing probably should answering. not have said that no, but I mean, no maybe we should fucking know it no man it, it marked you when you talked about it no i'm i, I just i'm like i thank saw the you. same thing it's it's it's, it's disturbing yeah. Yeah. yeah it is powerful but I mean, well, because at that point, then you start thinking about because because it's one of those things where like I mean, fifty people, fifty people. That's that's getting into the realm of like a statistic where your your mind can't really wrap your you can't really wrap your mind around that. You know, fifty people. It's it's like oh yeah, that's really really bad. And then you start to see the faces of those fifty people. You start to think of like they each had they all had families and friends and people that cared about Future them plans, have no frame so. of reference for that kind of stuff like if you were in a room where 50 people died like yeah. you, you you will hopefully i hope for everyone's sake that they they will never be able to experience that and they'll never yeah. know just how horrible that actually is right you know like extreme violence is man i mean i've been unfortunate enough to have some had some violent encounters in my life and it's it's really unpleasant man like i've yeah. you know Violence is a part of the job when you're a bouncer sometimes. It's like 1% of the job. And I avoid it at all costs. But violence, I mean, it makes me physically ill. I train for those scenarios. You know what I mean? I practice. You know, I try to take, you know, be able to take care of myself and my loved ones. You know, I I train for those scenarios. And, but to this day, if I I physically harm someone, it makes me sick to my stomach. Like it makes, it has that that physical reaction where I want to vomit after I've hurt someone. And, and to be in a room where 50 people have been shot, yeah. I have no idea what that would feel like, or you know, and, like and I hope I never methodically know. Methodically slaughtered too, not in not in like you know, just myth, just executed. Yeah, yeah, like a culling, you know. Okay, so not not to not to to like uh, just brush over that, but now now that you bring it up, because you do have, you've gotten a certain genetic roll of the dice <laughs> that you are not only. Uh, I mean, I think as a person, you would be well-equipped just because you're a a nice dude Mm -hmm. to deal with those situations as a bouncer Mm -hmm. but you are a physically imposing large man you're a large dude yeah you're a large kind of like somewhat scary looking dude that like if someone like me if i wanted to cause some shit and then you walked up there i'd be like maybe this isn't yeah maybe i should uh, i want to say 80 percent of the job 80% 80% of the job is looking the part. That's how right? I landed in that job is because I was right. a big guy and I just, right. I've been big since I was a little kid. So I just always was like, well, I'm a big guy. I can use that. And, you know, honestly, I didn't, I learned how to use that towards the end of high school. Like my size is, is an imposing factor. And that's how, how I landed in, in that line of work. Right. And, but you realize pretty quickly that there's more involved than that. You can't just be a big guy. You have to be able to handle yourself and you need to, you know, you also can't have a chip on your shoulder either because if you're looking because I've dealt with that too like Mm -hmm. I I remember some situations where like I just wanted to I was just looking out for a buddy Uh, there was a friend that like she was way too drunk and I had left the I left the club at that point and it was like 2.45 and the guy wouldn't fucking let me back in just to make sure that my friend was okay yeah you know and then and then but he like he wanted to fight me like that it's I don't like, want to fight anybody, man. And yeah. It, and, but people want to fight all the time. It's a stupid yeah. part of the gig, you know. And But you, you you get pretty good 
at defusing those situations if you want to defuse them. But I've worked mm. with doormen that don't want to defuse them. You know. Oh yeah. Just and and who are just chance. super aggressive guys, and I've quit jobs because I can't work with people like that. Really? I'm people a, that want to escalate. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I don't know how it is now, but like the old days, the foofs guys were like notorious. For still, that. it's all the same guys. Most, it's most of the same guys. Yeah. The, yeah, uh, they were guys. There's not a lot of turnover for doormen at, at Foofs. I don't know, but I, I just I heard, you would hear story after story of people being fucking rolled down the stairs. Oh and, yeah, I've seen it happen. Yeah. And they, tossed uh, out on yeah. the sidewalk and their yeah. teeth knocked out. It's, yeah. not, it's not worth it. It's, it's not, not pretty. It. It, that, that, that's a, it's weird. I remember being. Uh, uh, we we did a C, confusion did a CD launch mm-hmm. at Foofs. I remember that. And it was like you know we had a. It was a really good night. We brought a whole bunch of people there. It was yeah. a great night. And then they were giving a shit. The bouncers were just giving a shit about, like, we're just trying to load our stuff out. The, uh, the you know, you can't be here. It's like, dude, yeah. man, I'm I'm pretty sure that my people are paying your salary. Right oh, yeah. Give us a break and let us unload our shit into the mm-hmm. van, you know? Yeah, I mean, that happened. We did. We worked with Fuffs pretty closely. For those who don't know, listening, Fofun Electric is like a legendary venue in Montreal, right? Yeah. It's it's a very well established room that's one of the best stages ever. It's a great stage, sounds great. Yeah. And um, Endos did uh, a couple of CD launches there. You know, we did. They they treated us pretty good. You know what I mean? But I mean, I stand out. I'm maybe a little more recognizable than some of the other guys in my band. And there was a night where we were there, not on a show night, just drinking, and our drummer got roughed up by the bouncers and I was like yo you, do you know who he is and as soon as they found out who he was and that you know he's you know, in, in this band that they've, they've worked his shows and they're, they're very apologetic I was like well maybe you shouldn't be so quick to jump the gun you know what I mean yeah but that's the, the culture of you know of bouncing there you know they just it's prison yard rules for them and, right. and I just I don't believe in that as a bouncer you don't need to be like that right Especially you know you can find a video man. of me on YouTube uh dealing with a, an unruly customer at one of my old jobs and I'm making him hold my thumbs and I'm dancing with him. Right. He was just so drunk that I, tr- I diffused the situation and treated him like a toddler. Right. And, and, he, and it turned out to be great. It was problem solved. That's I didn't what, have to exactly what he needed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you can find that video on, I'm trying to remember what the title is for it, but it's like, you know, bou- Montreal bouncer dances with customers. And like so yeah. it's, it started with him being very aggressive, very aggressive, and way too drunk, belligerently drunk. He just he wanted he wanted to get hurt, or he wanted to something to go down. He's just causing trouble, and okay. I, and I just put the kibosh on that immediately. You know, I hugged him, and then he was like, "Okay," I was, and he he was okay with the hug. I was like, "Okay, we can work with this then." And it was just like him trying to get inside, but me just like hold my thumbs, just hold my thumbs, and I just made him <laughs> dance with me around the in front of the bar. And then I send him in a cab home. You know what I mean? It was like, it, and it was funny, you know, and nobody got hurt. They're drunk. And he'll, he can come back the next time and he'll know that he's okay. You know, he's, he doesn't have to be worried about the bouncer, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. I beat the shit out of some people as a bouncer, you know, that need to be beat, need to have the shit beat out of them. But I, that's my last resort. You know, I don't want to hurt anybody. It's, it's funny too, because it's, it's an example of like how often you can, uh, Totally change the situation just by flipping the momentum, mm-hmm. just flipping it on its head, you know? Yeah. Where, like, something's getting escalated, 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 and then, like, a hug yeah. can be, like, <laughs> can change the entire Absolutely. chorus of the night, you know? Yeah, kill them with yeah. kindness, man. Every I don't time know what it you're works. doing later, but cancel. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> From Groundhog Day? Oh, yes. <laughs> that guy that pesters him every day, and he, yeah. finally, he finally beats him with a hug, and he's like, I don't know what you're doing later, but cancel. 
Yeah. And the guy's like, oh, no. And he just fucks uh, I gotta off. Go. Yeah. I gotta go. Get out of it here. works, man. I, you know, I've taken people from, like, who are, like, at a 10 rage level down to a f- minus 5. Yeah. Just be by being nice to them. It's animal yeah. handling. Like, no offense yeah. to those Particularly people. Particularly when they're super drunk. Like, when they're drunk, when they're, like, they're not even walking straight. Like, they're cross-eyed. And yeah. just, like, that's just a whole other state of affairs. For sure. I mean, yeah, it, like, just by being nice to them, they can be like, ah. It can just turn them into, like, this emotional, like, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's all because my mom. She didn't you know, hug me. <laughs> <Yeah>. you <know? laughs> well, this is the thing. Is that, like, when you see people acting like that, it's not you that they're upset with. No. They're clearly yeah. just having a hard time. Yeah. You know, and I'm aware of that. You know, when somebody's, you know, if I encounter someone who's screaming at me, you know what I mean? It's like, man, I know you're not really angry with me. You can't possibly have mustered that um, much feels no, towards me. You're just, yeah. you're, you're, you're performing a role. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's just it. I'm just, you know, I'm just in front of you right now. So you're going to take that out on me. Mm. And I mean, I feel like I've, not to toot my own horn or anything like that, but I'm nice to, I want to say... 95% of the people that I meet regardless of how they treat me you know I mean I've definitely it's not always easy to be that way I mean I'm a human being too I get upset but I mean I think a testament to that is I got an email the other day from a dude who he was like I, 50, he sent me a message saying 15 years ago he was a kid and he ran into me outside of a metro station and asked me if I was a skinhead I saw no that, there was a, that was a post on Facebook and I saw yeah. that recently I was going to bring that up yeah beautiful it's man, beautiful and I was like man this that was like it was a reminder to me like to be nice to everybody I fucking meet yeah. because you never know 15 years later you're going to get a message from some random kid who's like he's living in Japan now or something like that but he was like I just wanted to let you know I saw you pop up on my Facebook news feed we're not friends on Facebook but he messaged my fan page. But yeah, let's finish that story because he said he because he came up to you. He said something about you being a Nazi or a skinhead or something, yeah. and then your response to him was just kindness, and you yeah. gave him a hug, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just nice to him. I was like, no, man, yeah. I'm not. I understand how I can look that way, but I'm not. I'm not that guy. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, which yeah. is something that's. I, it's a question that I've gotten a lot over the years. Is I guess I have a shaved head and I kind of look like a racist skinhead. Got a bunch of tattoos yeah. on you. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big, yeah well, you said a big, imposing, scary dude. You know, You're a shitlord. I'm a shitlord. Yeah. yeah. King <laughs> of the patriarchy. You didn't King know? of the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. American yeah. history X. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> that that message was like, man, such a grounding reminder, like to to just be nice to everyone. Yeah. Just be nice to people. Well, speaking of which, uh, and that's a story I wanted to have a chance to talk about before we, uh, we bring it home, mm-hmm. was uh, I remember reading something about a, a fan, a fan of yours. Uh, I don't know if it was Endust or if it was X-Fries, but uh, he was sick, mm-hmm. and I think he passed, he passed away recently. Josh yeah. Tetley, yeah. Josh Tetley, yeah. So, um, he, was he, was this, when did you meet him? Where, uh, how did you become aware of him? <sighs> Long time ago, man. Uh, him and his friends... Uh, started coming out to our. Sh- he's from Ottawa, and they started coming out to our shows very early on, um, like 2005. Um, when he was man, he was just a kid back then, man. Uh, and this is a thing I didn't really realize. You know, it's hard to wrap your head around how people perceive you, you know. But my my younger brother pointed out the fact that these him and his friends kind of grew up coming to our shows, and you know, they are every Ottawa show we played. Him and his friends were there, and they would come to see us play in Montreal when they could. And, you know, they're just, you know, when you see people come to your shows that often, they stop being fans and they become friends. And you get to know these people. Just these, like, 20-minute conversations, you know, every few months at the shows, you get to know them. And then it becomes, it gets to the point where, like, even if I'm not playing a show, if he's in Montreal, I get a text or a phone call or, you know, Facebook message. Like, hey, man, we're in town. You guys want to party? 
It's like you know, family it's like, now. Yeah, you become friends and family, you know, and you become really close. And I'm fortunate to have met a lot of people like that over the past, you know, 10, 12 years who've be- gone from being fans to becoming friends and people that I care about deeply. And Josh is one of those guys. And, uh, you know, him and his him and his buddies, you know, just big, big supporters and be- they became friends. And, and I found out he got sick. He was having a hard time. You know, we're offering support in any way that we could, and then he seemed to he seemed to be getting better for a while. What did he have? Dude? What, what did uh, he, uh, leukemia. Leukemia. Okay. And uh, he came to see me at Heavy MTL last year. We played with Excess Fries. He showed up wearing a T-shirt said that I beat cancer to go to Heavy MTL, and we were super stoked to see him. We partied. We had a good time. I was like, cool to see him out at a show. You know, I hadn't seen him at a show for a while. He'd been really sick. You know. Things were looking up, and then I found out that things took a turn for the worse a few months later, and that he wasn't doing so great, and his father started a GoFundMe to uh, raise the funds necessary to seek alternative treatment, because the treatment he was receiving was not working, and alternative treatments can be very expensive, and he needed like seven grand, so my guitar player had the idea of, you know, we had, we had launched our last album... Uh, under a campaign of selling it for a dollar for a digital download of our right, album. Right, I right. remember that. Yeah. So, and that did very well for us. You guys and went gold. Did it, did we, we went Canadian, more than Canadian gold. More but than yeah, Canadian we, gold. <laughs> but it doesn't count because the 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 rules are. But it does sell, count because it's you have to sell really. for th- over three dollars a piece. Otherwise, right. you're cheating the system, quote unquote. Anyway, long story short, he decided to you know do the same sort of campaign, but get a bunch of our friends' bands on board as well. And make a, you know all of their albums available for a dollar a piece, and all of the money because it's just digital downloads it doesn't cost us anything. You know, all of the money was going to go towards Josh. And so we started this campaign. We got a bunch of Canadian metal bands on board that all made their music available for a dollar uh, for the entire album. You know, we did it on our own website, away from you know services that take a cut like uh, iTunes and Bandcamp and things like that. And so, 100% of the, each dollar went towards uh, Josh. We managed to raise some money, which is great, but it was just a bit too little, too late, and Josh didn't make it, unfortunately. Okay. Which is, you know, it's hard to talk about, but you know, Josh is a great guy, and you know, the next album is going to be all for Josh, which is the first time I've said that publicly, but we're, you know, hopefully put on a new record in the in the fall, and it's for Josh. The whole record's for Josh. That's so. amazing. It's amazing. I can't imagine uh, the kind of connection you make with with people. Uh, um, Period, right? Even if you see them again, like it just—I I wouldn't even imagine how you could tr- keep track of. But you end up keeping track of every single person, and you end up remembering stuff. Well, about not every it. single person, but a lot of them. People, you know, like I said, certain people who who come to every show, you start to recognize them. You know what I mean? Like two yeah. or three times in, you're like, oh, okay. And then over ten years, it's like, okay, you realize, man, oh, these are—they become friends, you know. And I mean, I went to Josh's funeral, and that was a very strange experience for me, man. I, I went there as a friend but when I arrived I realized that like you know like I said you never really realize how people perceive you you know and being there I was there as, as his friend but it was kind of like I felt it was such a strange experience I felt like I was kind of like making a public appearance at a thing and I'm, I mean our band was not huge let's set the record straight like we're, we're very you know and even Endos you know we did pretty well for ourselves but we are not a big band by any by any means you know so I don't feel like a rock star, but I went to this dude's funeral and felt like a rock star because it was kind of like people stopped what they were doing to talk to me, and I was shaking more hands than like his parents were. It was a very strange experience, and his, his father asked me to speak at the funeral, 
which I agreed to do um, because, I mean, how do you say no to something like that? Yeah, sure. When a grieving father asks you to speak at his son's funeral, you speak at his son's funeral. But then it was like, I, I didn't know what to say. And they're like, okay, we'll just read this prayer. And I found that strange because Josh was, I, you know, to my knowledge, was not a religious person. And then I found out that in his final days, he was asking for a priest. And, you know, he it was kind of like a just-in-case kind of thing, I think, for him. I mean, I'm speculating, but... He, he asked for a priest in his final days when he realized when he started to realize it was like okay that's it's gonna be that he asked for a priest and he wanted his he wanted a religious funeral which I found fascinating but I was happy to take part in that and read a prayer and uh, but man that funeral was like it had to be weird yeah. it was intense and his core group of friends communally wrote a eulogy and uh, his one of his closest friends is also a good friend of mine Devin was read the eulogy on behalf of this core group of friends and the whole thing was like there was it was peppered with lyrics from my songs which is like man it's crazy to think of it like we're just this like independent unsigned band that you know had a cool run for over a little over a decade and you know but we had such an impact on some people that like words that i wrote ended up in a man's eulogy you know and then they closed the eulogy by playing a song you know, from our last album called Brotherhood that they found was fitting. And they played this song, this metal song, to a room full of people. Josh, unfortunately, passed away young. There's a lot of people there to support him, to see him off at his funeral. And to play this song, and I'm just sitting there. I don't know anybody, really, other than one or two people at this funeral. And I'm sitting there. I went alone, which was a mistake. But <laughs> I'm sitting there in a room full of people who all know who I am. But I don't really know who any of these people are. And this song is playing and it's like it's loud and people most of the people there don't listen to metal and and everybody's kind of looking at you. What a fucking scene. Dude, and Holy it's a shit. five and a half minute song. <laughs> so for five and a half minutes, I sat there and and his mom at one point looks over her shoulder at me as I was sitting a few rows back. And she's holding eye contact and not letting go. Oh and I don't God. know what is the appropriate reaction. Oh. Am, I, am I supposed to be crying? And while this is happening, his friends are breaking down. Yeah. His core group of friends are sobbing. And, I, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I don't know how to react to this. I want to cry, but I don't want to cry because I'm, I've got that caveman pride. It's like, no, I'm like, not, I'm not going to cry. Give the devil horn. But then, but then <laughs> you're like, maybe banging. I should be crying. Like, because his mom is like staring at me. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, I just don't know. What to do, uh, when when is an appropriate time to break eye contact with his mom? When is you know like I just don't know what the etiquette is here, and everybody and I the priest was kind of standoffish with me when I he spoke to me what the prayer I was supposed to read, <laughs> and I why. understood why because I he knew that this song was going to get played. I didn't know <laughs> that they were going to play this song oh. and that he had requested this song be played at his funeral. Like that is huge, and I had no idea. And this guy the priest was like you know Catholic priest. He doesn't really listen to metal. He is not really interested in metal. You know I have a giant satanic tattoo on my arm you know what I mean Think, like, which he this didn't know about devil's but music he just, he's, seeing a, he's seeing a guy like me yeah that's like uh, in the house of God yeah. exactly so he was kind of standoffish with me but I was like very respectful and like look man I just don't want to fuck this up yeah just when it comes me. down to it there's no etiquette because nothing like that has ever happened before <laughs> seriously man yeah I live we a strange life man we I haven't developed an etiquette for that because that no, never happens common, yeah. common actually occurrence. I think it's your responsibility to develop so, yeah like, you're yeah. Yeah. It was a strange thing. It was. I just was trying to stay polite and 
never yeah, break eye contact with the mother. So... Yeah, or set a certain time limit to break. <laughs> yeah, eye contact. like what is the appropriate amount of time? It's like yeah. thirty-nine seconds. And even do you before before do you all that miss? happened, a kid a, a kid left the room. I mean, again, the room was packed. Some like thirteen-year-old kid leaves the room and passes out. He faints outside of the room and hit the mother. I mean, given the circumstances and the context of where we were at a young man's funeral. That kid's mother was freaking out, like, call that online. She's like screaming the kid's name. I don't know what's going on. And they're like, we need a first responder. I'm like, oh, I'm a first responder. I guess I better go check what's going on. Like, I mean, I've got my certificates. I'm working security, right? Like, I got first aid. And <laughs> the priest is just like, like, no. Yeah, well, so like, but like, so like, I give the prayer. This happens. I run out, check on this kid. He just passed out. He was just overwhelmed, you know, yeah. by the situation. He was fine. We just put him in a wheelchair, called an ambulance. And then I come back into the room and I have to tell this room full of people, okay, we can proceed now at the funeral. <laughs> it was such a surreal, strange event. Let's keep listening to my satanic music. <laughs> By the power of Satan, I will restore this child. Those <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> raw brothers are on you. fire right now. <laughs> totally. You've totally tapped into their, their yeah. vicious underbelly. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, like curiosity. Yeah. And they, both of them were looking at you like a couple of vipers the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> the moment but you said it was awkward. You're like, really? Tell me really? Yeah. It's fascinating, man. It is fascinating. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned this because I actually have to meet my publicist tomorrow because um, our publicist did the press release for that campaign to raise the money and everything. Um, he's the main point of contact for anybody trying to reach me, essentially. And he said that he got something in the mail from a journalist or a writer or somebody. I, I don't, man, don't quote me yet. I don't know the details. But somebody from Ireland sent our publicist a package for us to give to Josh. Our publicist didn't didn't know that Josh had passed away. But I'm meeting him, my publicist, tomorrow to get that package and give it to Josh's fiance. I have no idea what's in it or what it says. or I have no idea. But I'm super curious. But I mean, the word got that far. I mean, it went as far as Ireland that we were That's trying crazy. to help Josh. And, you know, a package came for Josh. Yeah. So I guess for all the evils and the nastiness of the fucking internet and the social media mobs... It, it, there's a there's a lighter side, right? There's this absolutely people are good. I genuinely believe that, and I believe even all those people who who treat outrage like entertainment, I believe they genuinely have the world's best and humanity's best interest in mind. I really do believe that. Yeah. How they go about achieving that and creating change is I have questions about that, but you know I think at the root of it, people are good and people want good things to happen and they want good for humanity. Very good people end up getting sucked up into the mob mentality. You know, it's very, it's, it's, it's rare to not be somebody that is susceptible to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very human. Yeah, it is. It's, it's part of the whole thing. It's, it's part, part of, of our evolution. It's pack. It's it's you know survival. It's strength in numbers. It's yeah. it's all that you know. It's, it's part boredom. of the reason that we're still yeah. here. You know, is that we figured as out a species. How to yeah, we yeah. figured out how to work together. Just unfortunately, that can also translate into some pretty some pretty horrible shit sure. when when a mob yeah sinks their teeth into uh, yeah or just decides to go after somebody and. D no matter what they say, they're not gonna they're not gonna yeah. change their mind I, about I it. I think we figured out very well how to work as a unit in a village context. Right. Once we start getting global, once we start living in big cities, all that stuff gets messed up. Yeah. Right. Like these, we whole, live in a hive essentially. Right. And it's we're not meant to live like this. Exactly. So this whole like mob mentality thing is really useful when there's 20 people in the village mm -hmm. and some kid shows up dead and you know the weirdo in the village everybody knows who who, yeah. did, who did that shit yeah you know it gets that same thing gets kind of perverted 
when you start living in cities and when you start living on like the internet yeah and think I mean, about even, the fucking the, internet the, the, things are changing so rapidly think about the change we've seen just in our lifetime and how and i mean the change we're gonna see in the next 50 years you know and it's it, things are changing so rapidly and so uh so exponentially like just drastic changes are occurring yeah. we we don't have time to catch up and figure it out like the internet's a thing that was created in our lifetime and our children won't know a world without the internet. They won't know what that's like, yeah. what it was like to, or cell phones or things like that. This or being if they in touch do, all it's the time because everything went so wrong. I yeah. agree. <laughs> we're the it, last we're, generation. We're, we're the last generation, and we're trying yeah. and we're trying to figure it out, and we, and we don't have it squared away yet. We just don't. We don't know how to how to cohabitate, being that readily in contact with one another, and to have these tethers, these cell phones, and you know these podcasts and everything. You know yeah. these these means of communication. We don't really know how to conduct ourselves with this new method of communication that's so readily available to all of us. You know. Yeah, people I, tend I, to. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I think this Your is show. one of the, this is one. Yes, <laughs> you'll get your chance to speak, right. Richard. Uh, <laughs> <a lot>. <laughs> <laughs> Tired of your shit. I, I think that uh, podcasts are actually one of the one of uh, it's it's one of the positives in that like absolutely we have. Currently, in like right now, we've got four people sitting around. You know, we've all basically agreed to sit around and not be on our computers and our phones, mm-hmm. and we're having a real conversation. You know, and to share on our computers and our phones. <laughs> yes, yes. Five people, if you consider yourself two people, which I think you might. I, I would consider myself three to four people. Me too. Yeah, but only yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're almost a village. Yeah, we're basically yeah, a village. That's why we're village. all getting along yeah, yeah, yeah. so well right now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, podcasts are great because it, I think it gives people, I mean, to think like if somebody told you like, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to record hour hour to two hour to three hour long conversations and people are going to listen to it. People be like, no, they're not. No, who wants to, who has a three hour attention span in a world of like Vine, you know, where like six seconds is all you got. Right. You know what I mean? It's like well, three, but I love it. I love listening to these conversations, these long form conversations where you can, you have enough time to accurately express yourself with context and nuance you know and you can right. i walk away from these things and this is not my first podcast i walk away from these things always feeling like i could i could have kept going i could have kept talking yeah. for hours you know yeah. yeah yeah i love the sound of my own voice yeah. <laughs> yeah. we <laughs> love the sound of your voice too but well, i just you. i just also love the fact that like i know i'm going to be whatever i say right now i know that you guys aren't going to be just looking down at your phones like mm-hmm. giving me a little uh yeah yeah, uh, looking down again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking down again. Uh, what was it? Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we're here actually, for this. They're not actually listening to you. Whether we have you know five listeners or or thirty listeners or a hundred thousand, it doesn't matter. That conversation itself is actually that's <coughs> what it's all about. You know. I agree for sure. I think so. We, fuck you guys is what I mean. <laughs> I, I think that's the that's, that's really what we've all taken away from your speech is uh, and fuck you too. Yeah. And on behalf of all of us, yeah. uh, James, this has been a real pleasure, man. I really feel we could go for much longer. Um, and well, you'll have to have me back. That's exactly that's what I was going to get to. That just means that you'll have to come back. See how I just invited myself back on your podcast? You were already invited. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to have to have me back. Yeah. You're no, welcome man. back anytime, man. Anytime. But I mean, we don't really. 
decide. It's really up it's to Danny. Up to Danny, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll let you guys know. I mean, uh, I got a team of people that need to pour over the data. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, let we'll them uh, let them aggregate and yeah. uh, you know uh, study the data, the keywords, and all that, and yeah. uh, get back to us. But it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Definitely, the Yoko Ono fans are not going to be on board with this no. one. You know, but uh, man, fuck that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. He's a yeah. shit after all. He's we a got shit him. This is the whole goal of this podcast. <laughs> It only took two hours. We got him. Woo! Good job, this guys. This is the only part of the podcast you're going to use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck that. This is like, it's a 45-second episode. And it's getting posted directly to your page. I knew it. Yeah, yeah. I knew it. Can I tell you something honestly before we wrap up yeah, here? Yeah, do it. Do it. There was a... Man, this is this probably speaks volumes about how I feel about the internet and my interactions. So, like, I didn't... Like, I, we, I don't really know you, right? I mean, we didn't... We, we've known each other from around... But I don't really know you. And I thought to myself, because there's a number of internet trolls out there. And it, this was kind of a very, like, you just sent me a message on Facebook, like, hey, man, you want to be on our podcast? I was like, yes, I do. Like, I'll speak to anybody that wants to talk to me. Like I said, I love the sound of my own voice. And I agreed to it without really looking into it or the podcast or what you guys, you know, I just agreed. And then it, the thought occurred to me that I might be walking into a trap. <laughs> like, honestly, the thought occurred to me, like, man, I might get, I might show up here and get fucking railroaded and like, just, you know, you guys just be like, you know what, James? You once said this on the internet. Yeah. You know? And we took note of that and we brought you on this podcast to talk about that. And man, that thought literally occurred to me on my way here that like, man, I might be walking into a fucking trap, right? I'm walking into this place where I don't really know these guys. I didn't know Danny was going to be here. Danny and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah. And if I known you were going to be here, I would have been a little more at ease about it. But I, I honestly, Notice he I didn't said completely at ease. He said a little more, just a little slightly more at ease. I'm so going to be paranoid. He does know you? But I just, man, that thought did occur to me that man, yeah. maybe I'm walking into a fucking trap. Wow. Yeah, life is fucking weird right now. It is weird. Super weird. Yeah. yeah. And now you don't know. I have you a follow-up question to that. Yeah. Sure. Was, did that thought excite you, or did it <laughs> terrify you? Were you like I, I had a plan already in the event that that was going to happen. My plan was to just accept it for what it was because I was ready for it okay. and just be as nice to you as possible. The same way I would treat a drunk at, a, at, a, at the bar, I was going to treat you dummies the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did say that fucking shit on the internet. And you know what? I love you. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about it candidly and frankly and openly. Let's have an actual conversation about it. And so you, the, so you have context and you, you're not misunderstanding me. Now that we have a long-form opportunity for me to explain myself, why don't I do that instead of... You know, which is why I wasn't afraid to talk about the Yoko Ono thing today, because right. I had time to talk about it and explain myself a little more. I'm Worst still a shitlord. Worst case scenario, you just kind of you, you can kind of just sit there and let it hang. You know, when people say shitty things, especially I mean, as an audio podcast, I mean, you, yeah, you're, like, you're basically invisible, right? Like if yeah. you don't say anything, you're not here. Yeah, totally. Don't <laughs> say anything, you're invisible. It's yeah. really like, yeah. <laughs> if I close my eyes. You can't see me. Yeah. <laughs> when my three-year-old son does that, when he hides from me, he just puts his hands over yeah, He stands yeah. in the middle of the corridor. Can't find me. He's yeah. like, gotcha. But anyway. the question that people really want to know is, do you have a couple of smoke bombs in your pocket just in case? Just in case. Just in case you went on the metro on the way out. Yeah, no, no. Like, oh, oh, you mean to, to escape like a ninja? Yeah, no, exactly. I'm too fat and slow for that. <laughs> Richard, I'm glad you talked me out of the ambush thing that we were going to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now in retrospect. Yeah. I think yeah. if anything, you get a Kool-Aid hole in the wall like you're Oh yeah! Like, oh no! It's like I'm out. It's a James-shaped hole in the wall. Well, Podcast over. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't think anything else needs to be said at this point, except uh, please come back. I would love to. Yeah, Thank man, you guys. Anytime. I'd like to have you guys in the morning show sometime. Yeah, yeah. that'd be great. That yeah. We would do it in a heartbeat. Cool. Anytime, Let's man. make that happen. I'll let you know. Like, I'll definitely do it. I'll let you know if these guys, uh, if, yeah. I, if I want them to come to you. Fair enough. We'll see yeah. how it goes. <laughs> yeah, man. man, you've been running that joke this whole time. This <laughs> yeah, joke hasn't, hasn't... This has been going for several episodes. Several, oh, yeah. several, several episodes. episodes. It's a kind yeah. of a marathon. He's yeah. like a pit bull. Once he gets a uh, hold, yeah. he doesn't, doesn't let go. <laughs> he doesn't let go. Listen, Quebec ban pitbulls today. Let's not get into that. We'll be yeah, there another yeah, hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, next time, next time. Yeah, let's yeah. do it next time. Thanks a lot, man. Sometimes I'll mix it up, get some gelato Like a pick-me-up, but Italiano Even sugar works, or maybe sorbet Someone tell me what the difference is anyway And then you got the Froyo, that's frozen yogurt So many yummy flavors, come out like soft serve I like to go to places, where you serve your own So many yummy toppings, mind blown And then there's ice cream cake, from the queen of dairy